The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 30. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor, a.k.a. Stan Leroy, a.k.a. Barack O'Comics. This week's episode, we talk with artist, creator, and podcaster Pat Loika as we discuss the artwork that he did for the book The Villain, which is actually debuting at this year's San Diego Comic-Con. We also talk about um, a little bit about San Diego Comic-Con and other random things. Hope you enjoy the interview. And then, after that... Um, I found what I like to call the lost tapes. Um, I say probably about five or six months ago, uh, Donnie and I did a recording, and um, actually, we, I just accidentally stumbled upon it <laughs> before putting this episode together. And it's just some random comic talk. Uh, Donnie loves comics as much as I do, and one day he went to a flea market and found a bunch of uh, old school comics for a nice low price. And he goes through some of those things, and we also review a book or two. So hope you enjoy it. I I think it's a fun episode, and uh, take a listen. Oh, almost forgot to tell you. Um, right now, PKD Media has a promotion with MyDigitalComics.com. As you know, PKD Media has published some comics over the years, and what we decided to do is, uh, in conjunction with MyDigitalComics.com, is have all of our books available at MyDigitalComics.com for free until September 1st. So you can get the Mercury and the Murd trade paperback, uh, The Agents of Colt, a trade paperback, the one-shot Wasted Wonderland, and the special edition issue zero of XO one and the Rock Solid Steelbots. All available to download in PDF or CBZ form for free, and you can also read it on your iPad if you got one of those fancy gadgets or on your computer or what have you. So I hope that you take advantage um, of this uh, promotion. Like I said before, I've said this many times, I love comics, and I want to spread that love to comics to others, and I want people that may not have given us a chance because they're afraid to spend their dollars, you know, to take a look at what we have. So I hope you do, and I hope you, um, you know, take up on this offer. Good until September 1st. And now, enjoy the show. I am joined here today once again but by my fellow friend and co-host John Carroll. John, how are you doing? Tired. It's 9,000 degrees in Memphis now. Oh, I'm propped right in front of the well, uh, the uh, nice little window unit air conditioner. Actually, it's one of those big ginormous, but that's what I'm planted in front of. Oh, fantastic. And also on the call is a gentleman that, uh, that John... Um, was very anxious to get on the show, and he brought it to my attention, and I said, you know what, I agree with John, we need to do this. Um, this gentleman is an artist, you can see his works on the internets, not only is he an artist, he's also working on a comic book at this time, he's also a podcaster, um, he is a man of many talents, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Pat Loika. Pat, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, sir, how are you doing? Doing fantastic, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me here. No, hey, no problem, man, no problem at all. One of the many reasons uh, we, we wanted to rap to you today is you are one of a, f a handful 
uh, that have started a Kickstarter project. Um, you were collaborating on a project called The Villain. And The Villain is a comic book uh, a comic book that got the funding necessary to get up and running uh, via Kickstarter, kind of similar to a Steve Bryant's project, uh, the Fina Voltaire project. Um, can you tell us a little bit about The Villain and how uh, your Kickstarter project took off and blossomed? Well, The Villain is basically... It's, it's our take on... I guess the teenage superhero, but instead of the superhero, we you know we do the supervillain instead. You know, we instead of taking the nerdy kid, we get the bully in high school, and we give him the powers and see what he does. And then the story from that point is basically him trying to figure out what his place in the world and uh, you know how he could be the best supervillain villain he could possibly be. And as far as Kickstarter goes. My collaborator, Steve Earnhardt, he's, he wrote the book. And we, we basically got to a point where we were uh, kind of scrambling on how we could possibly get this book done in time for the, for the, for the San Diego convention this year. And we were going through our, the costs of printing, and it's just insanely expensive. We both were, uh, you, know, he, he, he's, you know, he just became a dad. I have had some problems with my, with my day job. And we decided, you know, we, we should start. We should try Kickstarter because we've seen guys like Cody Chamberlain and Steve Bryant, you know, do that and be successful at it. And we we pulled off our funding within uh, within three weeks of the actually not even three weeks, like within two and a half weeks or so. We pulled all the funding needed to get this print run going. Now, see, the one thing I've I've liked about Kickstarter is once again I've talked probably talked about this on previous shows is that it definitely gives. Uh, many creative people an outlet to find funding, you know, where they couldn't find it before. One thing that I will say about Kickstarter is that, like with anything, like I know there are a lot of people that use Kickstarter or Indiegogo. There are people that feel that their project is worthy of X amount of dollars or more. And with Kickstarter, like everything else, there's the good, the bad, the ugly, and what the hell is this? Uh-huh. And some people have delusions that and then you know, and this is due to you know, you see, you see a couple people succeed. You're like, well, you know what, I, I can succeed too. Well, you know, which is no, which is noble and, and thoughtful. But there's also has to be this like set of realism that not every project is going to get funding, and that's just not for a comic book. It could be for a comic. It could be for just like a regular book. It could be for a film, music, project, what have you. Um, there has to be some sense of realism and what type of goal that you really want to achieve. But I think the way you guys did your Kickstarter project, it was fair. Uh, you guys had nice incentives, and actually, can you tell us like a little bit about the incentives that you did for people that actually donated? Well, we were uh, well, pretty much all of them would get a digital copy of the book, and you know, among other things, they will be listed at the end of the book as uh, if they were going to be listed as part of the. There's going to be like a most wanted list, and you'll list all the people who contributed and with photos or whatever. It's going to look like an FBI dossier or something, you know, wanted men, <laughs> and just to, to kind of keep with the theme of the book, you know. And I think people got into that. You were talking about. Uh, you know, people and their goals as far as Kickstarter is concerned. I mean, we, we we had a pretty modest goal as far as price, as far as you know, funding goes. Uh, and then we had we had certain tiers. Like when uh, when you get to a certain point, you're getting not only a digital copy of the book, you're also getting like a print copy. You get original art from me, uh, original design art from the characters from me, and uh, or original pages as well. So you just, you just got for a lot of incentives in there and you just get people interested in it. Yeah, I was going to do the Warlord package, but well, by the time I was about to donate, you already hit your goal, so I didn't get a chance. 
Yeah, that, that's that's okay. Oh man, we have, we have a story for you about that, actually about reading our goal, <laughs> which is also a good, which I think is a good uh, cautionary tale for anyone who wants to do a Kickstarter project because uh, when you know we had actually exceeded our goal by about two hundred dollars, which is pretty cool, and we were thinking about what we could possibly do with that spare cash. But when uh, when at the end of it. One of the people who had pledged over th- one person who pledged three hundred fifty dollars, they have a bad, they had a bad credit card, and we end up not collecting on it. Oh! So in the end, we end up paying. Uh, we were over, but we were still, we still had to pay a few, you know, about hundred bucks out of pocket, which is, you know, not too bad considering what it would have been originally. But you have to pay. You have to be careful because there's a, there's an, you know, Amazon owns Kickstarter, I believe. Mm-hmm. There yeah. is a fee. There is a fee which is five percent, which they take out of what you have, whatever you receive, and then you have to take into account, of course, people who could be delinquents. <laughs> you know, if they, they they promise something, and they just give you a bad credit card or something like that. You just have to be careful, you know, when you're doing these things because you never know. It's it's no secret that Holly, there's a lot of Hollywood people who are uh, digging into comics a, a lot right now because, you know, for lack of a better term, they, they look at comics and they see it as the next uh, next you know R and D you know for possible you know IP for them you know to to produce into film or whatever you know whatever uh, medium they want to produce. And a producer came to us, you know, and, and, you know they they've done some movies. They, they, it's actually a studio that's owned by it's not a studio but a production company owned by uh, by a somewhat famous actor. And they had approached us, and uh, and this was pretty early in the Kickstarter process, and they were offering to fund our project actually pay for half of it in exchange for a uh, for a producer credit on the book and they also wanted to uh, they wanted they wanted themselves to be attached to the property basically hmm. and of course here I was being completely excited over it because hey you know this guy I know this guy I've heard of this guy I like this guy's work and they're interested in our book and they want to turn it into something and I was excited and then of course the paperwork came in uh, it was an attachment agreement, and an attachment agreement in Hollywood terms is basically them saying, "Hey, we have we have intentions of possibly optioning your property, and this is you know this is this is on record that uh, you know that we have interest and uh, keep us under under consideration." That's what the attachment agreement basically says. But what it turned out uh, after our agent gave the paperwork a look. We found out that it's actually an option that they had given us, but it was disguised as an attachment agreement. Hmm. And um, we were, and basically, it was it was they were trying to get us with a zero option deal, which is kind of, which is not good, you know. No, no, I mean, you you want to you want to get some you know some monetary compensation. Yeah, for... and and the thing is, it, the, they're basically holding on to this thing. Like, if, if if we signed that, they would have had the exclusive rights to it for eighteen months, and within that eighteen months, you never know what you could do, you know, what you could have done with it. Right. At least this way, with you, you know, with you guys not signing that, it remains open. Yeah, it's open. And you know, the, and the options are still endless and they're out there for you. So no, that's a good thing. And but see it was smart, you know, because you had you had people protecting you. Yeah, yeah, that's lawyers uh, are a good thing. Lawyers are lawyer. a good thing sometimes. <laughs> yes. Lawyers and agents. You have, they they do a thankless job. <laughs> we all know of there are like a lot of comic book properties that have been optioned and they they could be major properties or even like, you know, small press independent properties that have been in the loop for years. I mean uh. Remember, like back in two thousand three, when Why the Last Man got optioned? 
Oh yes. <laughs> we and we haven't heard a peep. We haven't yeah, heard the, a... the the screenplay's out there though. I mean, it's it's actually a really good screenplay. And and that's cool. I just we all just hope for they all you know everybody hopes for that for their you know property to actually become made. But it's just the process of getting a movie made is just it's not that easy, and things can just no. sit in turmoil forever. Yeah. What was the uh, renewal lot on yours, Pat? For what? For the for the villain? Yeah, well, well I mean, because that's probably where they're going to screw you is because I know because probably on why they probably had just a renewal that was every certain amount of time. It's over. It's eighteen months. So after that eighteen, but what was their renewal option after eighteen months? Well, it's uh, there. There was no. Uh, there was nothing. Oh, there. Okay. Like we okay. we weren't going to get anything until it was actually produced. So. And if you know, if that thing sits with them for those eighteen months and nothing happens, and they just decide to let it go, then you know that's you know if they decide, hey, the superhero thing's dying down, let's let's not hold on to this anymore. It's it's, it's a no win type of situation. I was looking at the some preview pages uh, from the villain um, on um, hardbulliedcomics.com uh, forum. I'm really digging the pages. I like what I see. You know, there's nice panel action. It's very smooth. Tells the story fluidly. Um, very well put together. It's a, cl- a collaborative effort. You know, with um, Steve uh, Earnhardt doing the writing and lettering, you doing the art, John and Bernadette uh, Hoseko uh, do, are doing the doing the colors. It's, it's an and it's a nice collaborative effort. I, I joked before we started recording the show. For those that have seen the preview, and we'll post it on our forum, and we'll post it on our show notes and everywhere possible. There's a a mega force. <laughs> there's a mega force uh, in joke, and people who know me, they know I love the movie Mega Force. So when I saw that on page six, I said. I will get this book when this comes out, <laughs> even though it has little to nothing to do with the comic itself um, and the villain in general. Um, but um, no, I, I do, I do like this story. Um, I do like the story a lot. I like the costume designs as well. Now, when it came down to like costume designs, were you responsible for all for all designs? Uh, period. Yeah, uh, that was prob- that's that was probably a good month of my life just designing all the characters and. With each new script I was getting, because this was originally supposed to be a four-issue miniseries, and we just decided to just go you know, release the first issue as a preview issue, mm-hmm. and then do like a full-on, uh, do a full trade. And I always thought that actually, with each with each following script, there are new characters that get introduced. I have to design, <laughs> so it's it's been a lot of fun though. There, I it's yeah, I tried my best to be completely original with the designs and I tried to kind of make it work based on the character descriptions I've got, which is, you know, what any good character designer would do. But we're living in a time where like, they're pretty much almost every superhero costume design has been done. You know, I mean, there's plenty of, there's, there's, there's been way too many people who, who copied out from other people. And I, I tried my best to do my own thing. And I thought, you know, with the villain, I just, I, I think I was just focusing on the iconography and the, uh, I think the big V because this guy, he he is very proud that he's going to be a super villain. You know, he wants he he just decides I'm going to call myself the villain because he's just such a such a jerk. <laughs> so Nick decides he's going to go for a, you know like the V costume and you know and of course he wears a jacket over it and and it's pretty uh, it, it's pretty simple it's very simple but you know it stands out you know you see the V okay that's that's him. <laughs> now as far as when you're doing your character designs. Were there like any uh, character designs that you studied? Not not to create the characters per se, but like say for instance, um, like say for instance, like animators or people that worked in the animation game, like uh, Jack Kirby, Alex Toth, um, let's see, um, Alfredo Acala, Gil Kane. 
you know, they were able able to create character design sheets for like cartoon series, and like they had like you know layouts of this is what the character looks like from the left, right side. And oh, it just, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. It's just it's 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 fantastic stuff. Now, like, were there any? Was there anything that you studied before you did those character designs? Like, just get a feel of like how to put a character design together, or you just said, you know what, I'm just going with it. Well, for the character design sheets, I mean, I've I've seen a lot of you know turnarounds already in my you know time. I mean, I'm I'm a big uh, Marvel Universe handbook guy. <laughs> I just see a lot of those. Like there there was a there was a period. Remember when they were putting out the uh, the three ring binder sheets for yes. Marvel for the handbook, and they had the turnarounds for everyone. That's kind of what inspired me into doing, you know, the, the design sheets the way I did them, and it's it's actually been pretty useful. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you weren't doing like Greg Land? Oh no, <laughs> you don't get, you you won't see any uh, you don't see any women in uh, in having an orgasm when you're looking at any of the women I draw. <laughs> oh, Pam Anderson ripoff? No. I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of sad by the sad by the fact that you know of all the people to use to uh, to photo reference Emma Frost, you used Pam Anderson because she's so not Emma Frost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> body wise, <laughs> nah, I don't think so. <laughs> no, oh, Gene McCarthy maybe. But yeah. <laughs> Speaking of character designs, we actually go to art in general. Where did you begin your quest to uh, hop in the world of sequential art? I think you know, I've been you know I've been drawing since I was six years old. You know I've been, I watched a lot of cartoons growing up in the Philippines. You know, I watched a lot of cartoons. I watched Transformers and uh, He Man back then, GI Joe. I think I got into it because of watching that. I first started drawing stick figures. Started turned then. When, from watching Transformers, I learned how to. I figured out how to turn those stick figures into boxes and then draw the robot forms. And then from there, I started softening up the you know, the the hard you know the you know the hard shapes and turn them into you know muscle or whatever. That's how I learned to draw and watching a lot of TV. <laughs> just, just looking at it. and then it got to the point where uh, where I ended up getting a copy of Transformers number three, which is the first comic book I ever owned. And that's really where I got started. Hey, I think I want to do this because I want to. I want. I want to start drawing. And even back when I was young, even though from where I was, I mean, back then, you know, I I didn't know anything. I didn't have an internet back then. I didn't know how I could possibly get my work published from you know, living in Manila. That's what amazes me about with all the technology we have now to create comics. I mean, but look at the slew of comics that were independently created, you know, way back when in the 80s and early 90s without the technology we have today and how they were in stores, you know, in direct market stores. I mean, we had a lot we had a lot more distributors uh, back then uh, compared to now. But um, the ability to create has always been there. And if but it fascinates me, I mean, we have more technology and more ways to do more now to collaborate now than we ever did. But yet we have less stuff in stores. Well, well, you just hit the I, nail on the head, Sean. It's because of well, the death of the it's the death of distributors. It's, the, it's not even about distributors. It's the fact that I think I think it's it's more on the stores not ordering every anything. You know, this is gonna come off as I, I'm gonna come off sounding like a jerk here, but really, I think a lot of the store owners are pretty narrow minded about what they order, and relying on the whole pre ordering system. You know, it's. It's 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 not good <laughs> because you're not going to grow your audience by you know by having them. You you have to. Why why should I look through a 500 page catalog 
you know, for comics. If I if I wanted to do a comic store, I wanted to buy a comic. You know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. It's it's one of the issues I think comics has had for like a very long time, or at least since um, I would say, you know, before before the '90s boom bust era, when people go to a Borders Books of Borders or Barnes and Noble, when they go get a magazine. They just go get a magazine, and there's no preview for this for said magazine because normally the magazine's current events. But anyway, there's no there's no preview for that. There's no preview for a newspaper. They just go get it. But comics has never had that just go get it mentality. You know what I mean? With the exception of like web comics, web comics has a just go get it mentality. But the comics game itself has never been able to present itself in that matter. And there's never really been a consistent way of saying how do we get this to people without doing advanced solicits. Well, okay, advanced solicits. I mean, you have, you have to deal with the middleman, which is the retailer. So basically, if you're... If you're uh, I mean, you can self-distribute. That's such a difficult task. Mm-hmm. Web comics, you know, that's probably the, the only possible logical step. You can use your website as your distribution portal, really. You know, you just... Uh, you go to cons, meet people, meet the right... You know, meet, meet retailers... Start handing your stuff around, you know. That that'll get your work out there. Of course, you know, having a good web presence helps with that. From personal experience, I know, like um, with PKD Media, PKDmedia.com, our web traffic has increased exponentially over the past uh, two months, which has been good. And now I find myself having, you know, to do more work. And I mean, but it's it's for a good cause because people are coming back to the site. I got to make sure that content is always staying up to date, making sure that the website looks fresh in certain areas and, and er- that everything is good and it gets people that may not have the ability to go to a convention pick up one of our books to say hey well at least i can read this here online and then eventually i'll be able to get the book so it, it, it you know there's a give and take to that and that i'm cool with okay. and, you, and you know what though i mean in the end if you if you're able to get get that you know get that person make them a repeat customer or whatever you know it, it makes it worthwhile because you know what your your hard work pays off and they appreciate your work that's you know that's a good exchange and because it, and it, and also it kind of it distills the relationship between the reader and the creator in, in its purest form because you guys are having the direct relationship you don't have to go through the store or anything it's you are the store and you're you know and you're putting out your product I was gonna say digital distro has really killed print media is really really dying off in a lot of areas though it yeah. it is and it's unfortunate but the thing is if it's if the product is good enough if there's enough demand for it you know i mean the it it, it will keep going i mean print will not disappear completely it never will no. no but it will but a lot of the smaller areas of print magazines are hurting left and right Newspapers are starting to die off left and right. I mean, about the only thing really you're going to see that'll survive will be books, and maybe, uh, uh, and maybe, maybe some of the big newspapers and some of the bigger uh, magazines within about 15 years, within the next 10 years. But see, but that's the whole point as far as like on the digital side goes, is that a lot of these people, you know, a lot of you know, whether it be small publisher, small newspaper. They have to have some type of conversion to where they have a digital side. So if yeah. the print side goes down, you got the digital side to back you up because, you know, you never know. I mean, we could lose all this technology tomorrow and we got to go back to print and we got to go back to big cell phones that are the size of my foot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just never know what might happen. But you always should have the original medium to fall back on just in case your current medium just falls apart. I think the big problem is, is that a lot of people 
also didn't know how to prepare for the digital medium. Yeah, newspapers and magazines just couldn't, didn't want to. Right. And same thing. Same for the recording industry. Yeah, I mean, they 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 refuse to accept that there's a you know that this is that this is you know all the, this digital media is here to stay, and they refuse to accept it. They kept fighting it and fighting it to the point where people got sick of it because you know information spreads fast, and they hear about how people are reacting to it and how you know how how the uh, record labels and you know publishers are reacting to it, and of course people just decide you know what it is easier to just download it. I'll just take it there and then shut these guys up. Yeah. I mean, and that's, the cl- you know, I was going to say the classic example is look at Sony. I mean, Sony has bet twice on the wrong medium, and that's why they're not as big in the digital me- digital that as they used to be, as they could have been. Yeah, it's it's always been that way. I mean, like this is the first time it actually won like you know, as far as mediums go. I mean, look at the uh, you know the, the like Blu-ray is concerned. I mean, this is the first time they've won in a while. <laughs> you know, yeah, Sony's what was that mini discs versus mini the. Discs? Versus the MP3, they decided to ignore MP3, and Apple's like, "Sure, we'll we'll play MP3s," and that's why the iPod is is it. Yeah, I mean, what else? Like Betamax. <laughs> and and which- JVC screwed them over on that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever watched the Betamax versus the J- versus VHS? Oh yeah. Yeah, Betamax like, kicks the shit out of VHS. Sure yeah. did. It's also had, bigger. It doesn't hold as much, and it's a lot more a, expensive. Then again, that's so. We had the Betamax in the Philippines, man. <laughs> See, what is it? What is that horrible movie with? Uh, oh God, what's Kim Basinger? Where, uh, where she was, where like the guy that she was partnering with was like making money selling Betamax to Africa. <laughs> no, I remember. I remember. I had a, I had an uncle that was in the Marines, so he was overseas a lot. He was, and I had said this on a previous episode. He was able to give me Transformers that you know took years to come to the states. Um, you know, he got them for me, you know, way early, which was so cool. He also had a Betamax, and he had. You know, he's like one of the first people in the neighborhood to have Betamax before anybody knew what it was. But I remember. When he got it, we got to go to the local mom and pop video store because there's no, you know, there were no blockbusters back in the early '80s. It was all mom and pop stuff. We walked in, and the first time we ever walked in there, the Betamax, the Betamax section. Granted, this video store was new, so it was like the size of, let's say, take your average size McDonald's and like take a fourth of that. That was the size of the video store, so it wasn't very big. But three fourths of it was Betamax, and the first thing that we ever rented was. Um, and I'm not sure if you guys remember this, but there was this video called Animal Olympics. That was the first thing we ever rented. A month later, you know, v- the VHS boom started. We went back to that same video store, which was once three-fourths Betamax became a quarter Betamax. And it, it, was, it, was, just, it was disturbing how quick the change it just happened just like that. You know, they still were making Betamax tapes for sale in the U.S. until around 96 or 97. Oh, I know. You know why? You know who kept? You know who was the major user of them? You'll crack up. Sports teams, collegiate and, and pro- professional sports teams. Wow! Because the resolution was so much better with VHS when they taped games. The resolution was so much better. Huh. So they could. So when they were watching the game tape, and they and also they didn't degrade as much as VHS did when you t- stopped and rewound and stopped and rewound and, and everything. So yeah. Oh, by the way, the movie I was referring to, The Real McCoy with Kim Basinger. Oh, 
Val Kilmer and Zod. <laughs> it also featured a, featured a, a song by Richard Marks, if I recall correctly. Oh, we have now taken this show places we shouldn't have taken it. <laughs> Marks, he wrote one good song in his life. Oh, Has he? <laughs> God, I, I apologize for bringing that up. That's no, terrible. No, it's, that, okay. it's okay. It's okay. Oh. We've all got that one Richard Mark song in our life. Don't front. We've all got one. <laughs> See, again, I blame this all to, to where didn't I grew he, up. And they play a lot of. Because say, didn't he write a song for Luther? No, 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 no. Luther sang background on one of his songs. No, no, no. <laughs> didn't he write Luther's last big hit? Who wrote that? So- who wrote that song? Um, it all depends on what you define as Dance la- with My Father. Dance with My Father was actually written by a former American Idol uh, contestant. Oh, um, really? Yeah, from the from the first season, if memory serves me right. Um, Crap. No, no, no. Yeah, I think so. I can't remember correctly. No, Richard Marks didn't write that song. Damn it! Now I gotta go look that up. I gotta. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on one second. Hold How much time have we been here? This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Dance with my father, written by. Let's see. Oh God, no! I'm looking it up. That's. It was written by Richard Marks. I win. Get the fuck out! I win. I'm looking right now. Hold on. I'm looking right at it on Wikipedia, baby. Hold on. You can't always always trust Wikipedia. (laughs) I but I always remember it being that because I remember somebody cracking on him saying the only time you'll ever see Richard Marks win one. No, that is true. Uh, and uh, I just checked on music.com composer Marks, comma, Vandros. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, awful, awful thing. <laughs> that, that's all right. I stay. Still love Luther Vandros. I can let that slide. So, anyway, we're going to get back on track. We're going to get back on track. Oh, damn you, John. <laughs> damn you. Oh. Hey, hey, blame Loika. This is Loika's fault. <laughs> Loika's the one who brought up Richard Marks. Uh, okay. Of course, I did bring up the movie, but he brought up the he brought up Richard Marks. So let's see. We were talking about the, the digital medium and stuff. And speaking of the digital medium, have you tried, uh, Pat? Have you tried either the DC or Marvel uh, app yet? Yes, I do. I have them both on my phone. Oh, what do you think about them? I like them a lot. They'll probably be better on a. Uh, probably be, be better if they were on a an iPad. Obviously, if they were in the larger screen. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's uh, it's it's really nice. It has very user friendly interface. Uh, I like how it you know how it, it zooms from panel from word balloon to word balloon or panel to panel depending on how you read it. It's it works really well. Um, I think my only issue with it really is uh, the selection for both of them. Although I noticed that the, like they've been they've been trying a lot of different things lately, though. Like a lot of new, like DC has been putting up like preview pages for upcoming books, or not even preview pages, but you know, like a, like a short story from from one of their books, for example, like Superman Seven Hundred. Yes, there's a short story in there that is written by J. Michael Straczynski and Eddie Barrows, and drawn by Eddie Barrows, and like, they put that story. And put it in the app, and it kind of gets people to want to check out, you know, their on their, you know, their their new storyline, which I will not talk about. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then there's they did the same thing for Wonder Woman 600, where they have like pages by uh, by JMS and uh, Don Kramer at the end of issue 600, 
which they also put in the app so that they're trying to get you to check out the uh, the first issue of the new storyline, which is, I think, a very clever strategy because, you know, you're kind of getting in on the ground floor of that new storyline that, that's fairly controversial that everyone's talking about and that could possibly, you know, gain the new readers. I, I applaud them for, for that, for their choices there. And at the same time, Marvel is... They're kind of bringing some some newer titles into their uh, you know into into the selection. Yes. Like they they put out the, the Enter the Heroic Age one shot, which came out just a few weeks ago. It came and then came out on the app on the app, and and I saw that I was like, oh hey, I I didn't buy the I didn't buy the uh, you know, the print copy. I'll I'll get the digital version. <laughs> And it's, uh, it's a good deal. I've just got one thing to say about the app. One thing I noticed uh, when they first released it, they were talking about how they had uh, Justice Le- the Justice League International series in there. Yes, yes. If you notice, the prices have dropped. It, it's still the two ninety nine for that one that came out that day, but the previous one is two ninety nine. But then the one that's a month old dro- has dropped in price. So they are going back and dropping the price on on them after a certain amount of time. Yeah, how much is the drop? It's like a dollar. Okay. okay. So they do. So I mean that they do drop it down to like a dollar ninety nine instead of two ninety nine. So you are paying the premium for stuff that you can get on the shelf. But I think y'all would agree with me on this for the most part. Right now, they're not trying to get as much of us as they are people outside of comics, maybe, or people that have been yeah. out. People that have been out, yeah. That has been hideously apparent for both publishers. I mean, look at the the whole debacle about the Iron Man annual, right? Yeah. That that was there was. I mean, I, the way I see it, it, it was much ado about nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm livid about that because that because the original solicit for the last Iron Man trade, the one that just came out last week, said that the Iron Man annual was supposed to be in it, but then they changed it about right before it came out, so it wasn't in there. Really? I did not yep. know. I, I, well, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I try not to re- read the solicits. I just read the titles and I look at the yeah. stuff. I try not to read the solicits because I, I try to avoid getting spoiled. Because I, yeah. I, I, I like getting surprised with my comics. And sometimes I'll see the random cover and I'll just wait. But, you know, I'll wait till I read it before I comment on it. But that's kind of lame that they would do that. They put that in there and then take it out. Yeah, well, most, of the, yeah, most of the time I, do, I don't even look at I just order the same crap all the time. I swallow the same stuff. Except when it comes to trades and because I just want to know the issue breaks because – some of the stuff because I, that way I can decide if I want to wait and get it in the absolute side. Get the when they do the triples, says so I tell I have runaways. I, that's how I collect runaways and I collect uh, invincible and a few other things. See, and and Pat actually hit it on the head for a second when he's talking about just like you know checking previews just to see what books are out, but not reading the solicits. Here's here's part of an issue I have with comics. Now, granted, when we were younger, it was completely different because when we were younger, we didn't know about previews. We just went to the store got our books and then we were surprised but i remember reading solicits from previews books before as i would say in the early 90s and there you know there weren't a lot of get, let's just get, give away what's what's happening you might get like a like a you know a cover and like just like i mean a quick sentence but nothing to the event of the way previews are now i mean they're literally giving you the story Every single month. And the element of surprise, I think, is the one thing a medium like comic books always has to have. Now, granted, a lot of people don't use previews, but for those that do try to make sure they get the books that they want, some of that surprise is taken away. And I think that's something that the industry kind of needs to balance out. 
quit giving it away. It's, it's, it's about as bad as movie trailers at movie theaters nowadays. Yeah, it, it's true. And, and the thing is, what, what's kind of, uh, what's, I think is becoming an issue with it is the fact that a lot of the solicits right now are being written by the writers who write the books themselves. So I don't think it's a good idea because, of course, all the all the plot details are fresh in their minds, and they're they're more on the they're you know they're they're more on the creative side than the marketing side. I was them, <laughs> I would focus more on marketing the book and it being very vague instead of like giving everything. I mean, some, you, you you can't help but fall into the trap of just giving a summary sometimes because you've already worked on the book, you know the book well better than anyone else. So maybe they have like someone you know specifically just to handle you know solicits, for example, and. Uh, just be as vague as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I just have issues with just everything just being given away all the time. I, you don't have to read the solicit. And I try not to. You know, I really do. When, when I was, you know, actually ordering books on a, on a monthly basis, now it's a little bit more consistent, and I just get books when I can. And ever since doing that, by you know changing things up, when finances got a little tight, I think it's actually made my my comic book purchasing and reading a little bit more enjoyable. Because I'm not as worried, because I, I, I don't know everything that's going on. And if I do know, I can go look and go find out. But that element of surprise is coming back a little bit. You know what I mean? It it, it is, and I like that both Marvel and DC have been doing the uh, the classified solicits lately. Now, and uh, then, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, go no, ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, seriously, I interrupt you. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I like that they've been doing more of the classified solicits lately, and they've been re- and I think also. I think what I ultimately would like to see from you know, from from publishers and and you know and retailers is maybe if, if you if you absolutely positively have to put out previews, why not just put out a version of previews where it's just the title and the cover, and no no plot details? How about that? Because sometimes you know sometimes you're attracted to to getting a book by seeing the cover. You know mm-hmm. this has happened to us before. I mean we've all picked up. Uh, We've all picked up a, co- a comic based on the cover. I mean, come on! You, how you, did you turn down Wildcast number two when it came out? <laughs> did you turn down you know the, that hologram cover on X Men? No, I, I mean, turned down the foil cover. <laughs> well, well, the foil cover is fairly inferior to a hologram, so you know. Yes, and the trading card. Yes, <laughs> but you know, sometimes Bag. you just need. Sometimes you just need a really good illustration, a really good cover to pull you in. If and sometimes that's all you need. I mean, let, let the cover be reflective of the plot of the story if it has to, or make it just be a complete lie. But you can get people to check it out by you can get them with that, the title, and that's it. That's how I, you know, that's how I handle things. And I, you know, I never read solicits like I said earlier. So why why not try that? You know, yeah. why not make it easier for the reader to kind of enjoy themselves more? Because in you know, I I I remember like the last real shock I've ever had like buying a. a uh, a comic before 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 all the big solicits came in, like in the late nineties when Thunderbolts number one came out, I just picked it up because hey, these guys look cool, I'll pick it up. And got to the end, like, holy crap. <laughs> look at that. <laughs> yeah, see, and I, I didn't jump on, on, on the Thunderbolts book um until like I guess like after a couple issues in, they they hurried up and they reprinted the first two issues in one book. And I actually have that. And I bought that before I bought the series. And I bought it, and nobody told me about it. I was like, oh, this looks cool. What is this? And I had the exact same surprise as you did. I was like, what in the world is this? So that was cool. And I, and I liked having that feeling. Now, as far as classified solicits go, I'm 50-50 on that, Pat. And here's why. I don't mind a classified solicit if you give me an image. But for what Marvel charges for books, that, 
that's that, that's my that's my only problem. You're asking somebody, you're asking somebody to invest in something that they absolutely have nothing about. If you give me a black page that just says classified, I, it it puts it it puts me it puts me like not on edge, but it just makes me concerned because I don't know what I'm getting into. I mean, I don't mind the mystery, but. You know, we're dealing with a different dollar rate. Now, if it was like I said, once again, we would go back to the prices of a dollar sixty five cents and stuff like that. Well, I could give I could give, you know, I, I could give a damn. I'm buying it. But, you know, now we all have to be a little bit more selective with our purchase dollars. So but I'm kicking my own self in the butt because it's like I can't have it both ways. You know what I mean? I understand. Yeah. And you and you have you have a, you raise a very good point also. But, you know, you never the thing about these the the, the these uh, classified solicitors. One minute you're getting like you know like a fallen one shot. Next year you're getting a, a century fallen son. <laughs> and well, I, I was gonna say one thing to remember is that previews is not for us originally. It was for this. It was for the shop. It was a right. originally it was a det- It was the retailer's catalog. And I mean. I don't know how y'all's LCSs are and everything. I mean, my LCS, which is in the top 10% of uh, the single store accounts that Diamond has, because Memphis, an area of about a million, of about 800,000 people, has two comic shops. But, I mean, the, the store I go to is in the top 10% of that uh, list, and they get about 200 copies of previews every month, and they sell out within two weeks of it, but... We're also talking about a shop that you normally gets 300 copies of whatever the number of the big book is every month. So yeah, not but not everybody gets previews. Not I'd say what do y'all think? I'd say maybe 10 percent of buyers get previews if that much. Uh, I'd probably say it's a little bit more than that. But I mean, I I don't have numbers. I would say I would say no more than. Yeah, no, but still, that's 25% get previews. And no, 75% of people just say, this is the stuff I always get, or they just come in and they get the same stuff over and over and over and over. I mean, that explains a lot of titles. And that's what, I mean, that's the thing to remember is that a lot of people aren't getting spoiled by this. Now, there is a vocal minority, which is us, that get previews or, or, the, or go to News or ROM or something like that. But we're not the average consumer by far. No, we're not. Watch out now. There has to be some kind of compromise, though, you know, because part of the fun of comics is just, you know, digging into that thing and then you seeing where it takes you. And, then, you know, with them throwing everything in front of you sometimes, it can get, it, it, it kind of takes some of the thrill away from it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's why I think. I think, it, I think it, I that's think why it, I think. It, I was gonna say that's why I think expanding the digital realm and having day and date, but they having the day and date drop in price. Say like the new comic being a dollar ninety nine, would be perfect because that way you could get the person who doesn't read it normally, and you could get that average casual consumer. You are going to screw over a lot of the smaller mom and pop comic shops. If you do that, though, because that's going to eat into 10% to 15% of their business, though, and that will hurt them desperately. See, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm kind of 50-50 on that, too, because like with like a lot of the smaller mom-and-pop joints, to me, those are the people that are all the people that go to those stores always are going to always continue to, for the most part, as long as they're open, will always continue to go. 
I think you're going to get very few people to that are that constantly go to stores to make that full switch to digital. It's just it's so open right now. There's you know there's no definitive number. There's no there's no definitive game plan. It's just all so open. So I I just can't gauge what the overall effects are going to be. For me, I just want people to read comics. That, that that's all I want. And you yeah. know, I just want them to read comics, whether it be you know Marvel, DC. Yeah, I would love for them to venture out further into you know independent small press comics to see that it's just more than just superheroes. I love my superhero books. Don't get me wrong. I think ever since the boom bust, we've had the hardest time explaining to people that there's more stuff out there because stores had to protect themselves. They had to. They had to say, you know what? I can only go with what works that I know is going to sell immediately. Yeah, but when by doing that, though, they're they're kind of shrinking the you're, they're kind of shrinking the potential audience that they're getting. Oh, exactly. And yeah, and 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 also though, uh, as far as stores go, I mean, if they're really well-run businesses, they'll figure something out. They'll diversify. I mean, you could. I mean, the. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the, the couple of the stores that I go to here, but they diversify all, and they sell other things aside from comics, and they're able to make money back easily. And then they're able to stock a good selection of books, you know. But they they just have to be able to evolve with you know with the, the way the market's going right now, with the way you know the industry is you know is trending. I mean, you could you could have your you could order your X amount of Deadpool comics on you know for as much as you want. But you know, I think if you, uh, if, you if you page through the the banking and the previews and notice that there's a lot of uh, a lot of funny books there, a lot of really really good pitches that can be seen there. If you give gave that shot, order a couple copies each, you probably get some new you know a different kind of reader every time. That's going to require the retailer though to get off his ass and pimp books to his. Yeah, to his customers, and too many I, of them are lazy. They rather they don't want to go out and take that extra initiative. Well, if if they are lazy and they don't want to take initiative, then they don't deserve to be in the business. Simple as that. I'm not going to argue with you. I I agree. Well, I mean, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying that. Like, also you have to take also take in consideration for every for every comic book store that runs like a business, you have another comic book store that's run by a fan, and it's. Oh. And it's two, and it's two different things. It's just two different things. You, you know, to me, it's a business, and you have to run it as such. Once again, I love comics, but I know if I have my own store, I got to run it as a business because I got at the end of the day, I got bills to pay, I got overhead and all this stuff. But I can't run it as a, I just can't run it as a fan. And that's why I think so many of these comic book stores have had issues balancing out. Know the need to not only have you know your Marvel and DC books, but also to have other other publishers as well. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, I mean, you can't be an owner of a comic shop and be a collector, really. Yeah, oh man, <laughs> I, I was, uh, you know, I mentioned again, growing up in Manila, where I lived, like someone opened a comic store basically out of an extension of his house, I remember, and <laughs> that did not end well. <laughs> he was literally, first of all, like he, he was basically in what people call the boonies, you know. And there's no there, there's no traffic in that area that he decided to do this for. He just decided to turn his house into he, he named his store House of Heroes, which is hilarious. It's right on his house, and his, you know he, he I I mean he's a retailer. And I'll be honest with you, like my my collection was bigger than his stock back even back then. Wow. 
and he, you know, and it, it was it was terribly run, and you you just realize, okay, uh, anyone can decide that they want to be a comic store. And they'll just do all kinds of stupid things, and just because they're a fan, being a fan is not enough. You know, you have you have to have you know you have to have studied some business. You know, you have you have to learn how how to run, you know, how to handle inventory, supply demand, all that stuff. You have to learn all that. You can't just buy because this is what you love to do. It's a noble thing, but nobility doesn't take your business anywhere. It's a sad fact. We're gonna bring it back to happier times. I know. I know. Pat's excited because. The San Diego Comic Con is uh, creeping, is, is creeping uh, as we speak. Two more? What? It's like day after tomorrow. Uh, well, for me, it starts tomorrow because tomorrow I'm setting, I'm going in there to set up my booth, and uh, that is I'll, tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, by the way, for those listening. Yeah. Tomorrow is tomorrow is what we call setup Tuesday or uh, T minus one. So you mean to tell me because I mean I've been trying to keep up with things, but I'm always behind. You mean to tell me that the San Diego Comic Con officially starts on a Wednesday and then runs all the way through Sunday? That is correct. So is Wednesday preview night? Yes. Wednesday is preview night from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. But being an exhibitor, I get to go in before, well before that and I get to check out everything else before everyone else starts rushing into it. I mean, it's uh, this is like my uh, – I've been going to this convention since 1996 – and it's just amazing how it has grown, and it's just something I can't miss. It's it's it's, it's like a holiday. It's, it's it's Christmas for me and a bunch of my friends. We we go every year. We we started, but you know, just going as fans, and uh, you know, eventually we finally did, you know, we finally realized, hey, you know, what? we can self-publish our books and put them out. Yeah. Decided to start uh, exhibiting, which has been a very, which has been a very interesting. It, it's it's a good learning experience every year. Now, now I remember last year I lived as many others did live vicariously through you with your picture feed um, at the San Diego Comic Con. You know, you tell me you took pictures of everything. I'm like, there's no way this convention can be this big. And I, I and I always, I, I've always known that the scope over the years has, has grown, uh, has grown continu- continually. But until you, until I got all those pictures, I saw all those pictures from you. I had no idea it, the scope was that big. Yeah, it's the basically. The convention had really grown, particularly in the last five years, because the, con- the convention's been going on for since, ni- since for 41 years now. This is the 41st year. And even back in the 70s, I mean, way back, George Lucas actually brought Star Wars here, you know, when it first came out. That just goes to show you how far back you know, the Hollywood Association is with, with this convention. However, Hollywood has really, really... They decided, hey, you know what, this is like... They start treating this like it's the next con, you know, the Cannes Film Festival, you know, and they start bringing everything here that they think will appeal to the comic audience. At the same time, with them coming here, the non-comic fans have been checking out the convention, and you know they start getting into it too. But it's it's actually a really nice uh, way to kind of get new people into into reading comics because I I mean last year for all the hoopla about you know regarding Twilight, there are a lot of people who I've never thought. Don't look like the type of people who would buy comics are buying comics, which is yeah. good. And you also have like stars of television shows sneaking around in masks sometimes to go buy yeah. comics. Wasn't like one of the cast members from Lost, like somebody gave him like a uh, Jason mask, and and he was and he was able to peruse and like go buy some comics and leave. Somebody had told me that story. Like, 
Oh man, I, I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, I, I did remember reading about that. There, there are a lot, a lot of, uh, lot of you know celebrities who are who are really into into this. Like, do you guys, you guys know who Scott Adsit is from Thirty Rock? Oh yeah, he was at Heroes uh, this year. Oh, dude, he's at every con. Like, actually, I, uh, I actually helped him uh, book his hotel room this year for San Diego. So <laughs> it should be. I think he's gone here before. I'm sure he has, but you know, he, he he's one of those guys. Like I see him, he pictures him at cons. Like man, this guy's awesome because you know, he, he's there because he's there. He's there for the right reasons. He really loves the medium. You see him hanging around with artists and stuff. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, this year at um, at Heroes Con this year, he helped on the um, auction, yeah. the uh, the art auction. So yeah. yeah, he's he's definitely a a major a major comics fan for sure. Now, when you go to the con, I know you have a, t- a table, a table this year, and you're going to be out there trying to hustle your wares. But outside of being behind the table, what is it? What are the things that you look forward to most going going to the San Diego show? I think it's really, I, I, to be quite honest, I'm more about seeing people than anything. Because I have, you know, I have, I you know, over the years, I've made a lot of, you know, I've, I've made a lot of friends in the industry. And it's this is pretty much the call where pretty much almost everyone goes to because there's a lot of, I mean, for one thing, there's a lot of business going on at this show. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of deal making and all that crap going on. But I, I really like seeing people. Uh, I, I could, I could, uh, you know, I could, I could do this con and not, not make any money or not do anything. But I'll be happy just seeing people. Uh, you know, aside from that, though, I mean. I'm, I do. I like to go to a lot of panels. There's, there's, there's a fantastic selection of panels there. There are hundreds of panels going on. While people complain about how there's almost no comics presence or whatever in there, if you actually look at the programming, the comics, the comics programming is amazing because you, 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 you've got a lot of program. Like you got a lot of uh, seminars about you know like copywriting your characters or your creations or uh, or distribution. There's even like this programming even for retailers to. to to run their business, there's 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 all kinds of things going on there, and you, could, you know if if you spend like a weekend just going to panels, it'd be well worth the whatever amount you spend to go there because you're, you're going to pick up so much information from all these people, and of course there's there's I mean me also I mean I I I'm not going to lie I'm a big movie and TV guy I I go to a lot of the, the movie and TV panels too whenever I can because hey I want to see all the cool shit they're going to bring and show us you know show to us first you know at this con. Because they show a lot of exclusives there too. But I think my only the only thing that sucks about this year is that I don't know, despite the fact that I'm going to have a panel there this year, mm-hmm. it's running at the same time as the one panel that I really want to go to the most. It makes me sad. Which one is that? The Marvel Studios panel with Thor and Captain America. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's one thing to remember is that it, when they're talking about the comics not having all the programming it's they don't have the huge programming but that doesn't mean that maybe what over half of the programming isn't still comics related just it's in the smaller panel rooms well it's well yeah but the thing is they're just being realistic because if you're, of course if you're gonna put if you're gonna do say uh, a panel for the, the captain america movie of course you're gonna put it in the six thousand seat room because that's it's gonna accommodate everyone yeah. You're gonna do a panel about Nico Press, which is a small press publisher here out of San Diego. You're gonna put them in a small room because really nobody else has heard of them. You know, they're just being realistic because we don't want you don't want the rooms to look empty either. So you, you you just pick whatever is necessary for for whichever publisher. That's really it, you know. Um, 
they they they've had some issues though. Like apparently last year there was some kind of problem with with Bill Willingham's Fables panel. Oh, what happened there? Apparently, like, there are a lot of people who went in. Like there there were people who were going to that panel that sat in on the panel before, and there's some kind of issue because they were emptying out the rooms every between each between each panel because the the Fables panel is always full. Okay, it's it's standing room only, and it's a big room too, which is amazing. And there, there's some kind of issue. Apparently, they're they're doing it in a different location, like in a, in a bigger room this year. So that's good. At the San Diego Comic Con, I'm so, sorry, Comic Con International. I, I always just call it San Diego Comic Con. Just call it San Diego Comic Con because that's what it should be. Okay, cool. I just want I just <laughs> wanted to check. Um, where will you be located at the San Diego Comic Con? We're in booth 1804 and 1806. We actually got two spaces this year. Okay. We have a we have a bigger cast of characters. <laughs> okay, so like now, so you got a whole posse thing going, and it's going to be you or who else are you going to have with you? I'm going to be uh, sharing space with uh, the Eisner nominated duo of uh, Jim Andrew, Jay Andrew Clark, and uh, Dave Wachter, the guys behind Guns of Shadow Valley. Jeremy Dale is debuting his new book, Skyward. There, he has you know he's drawn stuff for Image, he's drawn GI Joe stuff, like. Um, and then we also have uh, Adam Withers and Comfort Love, who, who do the Uniques. They are debuting uh, Rainbow. They're debuting Rainbow in the Dark here, mm-hmm. as well as the uh, Uniques Omnibus. And Barry uh, Barry Miller is also going to be here. He's debuting the, the new issue of uh, Billy Bane's Psychic for Hire. There is uh, there's a ton of folks coming out. Uh, some of them, like like I mentioned, I mentioned Jeremy, Adam, and Comfort. This is their first time in San Diego. So I'm going. I'm basically doing my best to kind of take care of making it, make it a good con experience for them. Excited, but I'm, I'm you know aside from being uh, you know the guy who kind of runs the booth and tries to put everything together, I try to be a good ambassador to this con and the city for for new people. So I've been taking care of everybody and getting making sure everyone's set up properly. Oh, well, I'm sure everything is going to work out when it when it's all said and done. Make sure that you give um, you give uh, Dave a very big hug from me and me. Of course, I will. I will do that. Yeah, he he's going to come in for two days only for Friday and Saturday, and I think he's going to be doing some. He's probably going to get himself uh, into some portfolio review sessions. From what I know, uh, it's it, it's good. I, I hope it's a good con for him. Yeah. I, I think I think he's uh, he's on the cusp right now. You know, I think it's about time some of the bigger you know, some some of the it's about time he get paid a lot of money for his work because he does some fantastic work. Yeah, he's uh, super talented. I, you know, I'll, I'll read uh, Guns of Shadow Valley. <laughs> you know, every single time he posts, every single time he posts a new uh, strip and or new page, and you know, I've got some original art from him. And like, I'll go to his, I'll go to his site and check out commissions he's done for people, whether it be like a cover recreation or, or just anything in general. And I'm just am- amazed about by how he puts it all together. He's one of a kind. And- he- uh, I remember meeting Dave. Like, I think five years ago, was the first time we shared the booth together it was in Wizard World Philly. Even even back then, I kind of knew this guy. This this, this kid's going places. One thing I will admit that, I, even though it makes me mad the way it gets done, is with like the whole Mattel booth. Oh God, exclusives. It, yeah, see, and I'm not a big fan of exclusives, but like every now and then they'll have something that I like. And once again, people who listen to the show know 
um, how much of a fan of the Masters of the Universe art book that, that came out last year. I wanted one of those. And, you know, there's no way I was going to be able to go to San Diego last year. So, I, you know, I tried to get some friends to help me out. And they all got, you know, they all got gaffled because they just had no shot of getting this book. And Mattel put it in limited edition. But only have X amount of copies available. That way they don't have to pay royalties to the um, to the artists that actually provided the con- all, those con- all that concept artwork. So that exclusive stuff kind of annoys me because I just, you know, like I said, I'm a big fan of making sure, you know, people are able to get what they need. I understand you got to sell, you know, selling out stuff to make your money or whatever. Even though that, I think for that it went to charity. But uh, that stuff kind of frustrates me a bit. So, Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll say this much. Last year... They did the multicolor lantern Hal Jordan as an exclusive at the graffiti designs booth. Yes. Oh yeah, I've heard about that. The first day, like preview night, it was Hal as Green Lantern. Fairly easy to get to. I mean, the the, the graffiti booth was pretty close to where our booth was last year, so we were just a you know, quick stroll over there, and you'll get into it. But when they weren't selling anything until you know until preview night actually started. But the minute the doors open, I've never seen so many people swarm around one booth. It's insane. It looks, it's, looks, it's like the Persians attacking the 300. <laughs> it's, it's like that. And, and I take it that that um, that they weren't they really weren't ready for that for that onslaught, were they? No, no, no. And so the next day they decided they're going to give out raffle numbers for people to get their beats. They have to live. They have to go upstairs. Under upstairs, and they have to line up a certain place. Like, like they have to line up like cattle upstairs to get their tickets. Then they have to check back periodically at the booth to see if their ticket numbers are due to pick up their their their, uh, their orders, which is kind of a smart idea. However, you have to line up there, which is they they, they make you suffer the insanity of what you put people through downstairs by having them line up upstairs, <laughs> and it's. Because the only thing missing really is you know someone there with a cattle prod pushing people and have to go to the next next final line. It it was like that for that. Uh, the the Hasbro booth was also insane. They had they had some uh, they had some good exclusives last year. Last year they did like a box head of Soundwave and all his cassettes, you know, re-release. But, you know, but They're doing Sound- Blaster this year. Yeah, Blasters this year. But last year was a Soundwave where he could hold two cassettes in his chest. I couldn't get any. I could, I couldn't get it because I wanted to get a set for my brother. You know. And he he came with he came with you know four cassettes. That would have been an awesome thing. It was like fifty bucks or something for that whole set. Yeah. And the line was insane. I couldn't get through because I have you know I have to be responsible to handle my booth. Right. It was near impossible again because of all the rules. But then one of my friends just walks into the booth, walks into the line, and purchases it and walks away. He bought all the Hasbro exclusives by just walking in there. And I'm like, how the fuck did you do that? I just walked in. Like what? They were, they were telling me to go upstairs and get tickets and do all this other crap. See, and then that's where the, the confusion doesn't help. And I'm, and I'm mad because I missed out. See, I missed out yet again on a chance to get a sound wave, and now I'm going to miss out on a chance to get Blaster, both of which I owned as ch- when I was a child, and um, both disappeared somehow. I want the Galactus this year, the 19-inch Galactus. Yeah. It's sixty bucks, and it's, it's it's on a blister card, which is even more insane. Because how the hell can you hang that thing on a pin? With oh. original art by Casada. Yeah, that, that that's a cool looking design for Galactus. I have to admit that's that is a great design, but I don't know if I can spend sixty bucks on this toy. You know, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have it in me anymore. That would be difficult to mount for sure. <laughs> yeah. I would probably take it out of its case, you know, and then and, and, and pose it around because that's just how one, I, I say that's one hell of a pegboard. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, I know. 
the pegboard probably costs more than the damn figures. <laughs> Man, and and they 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 uh, the thing that kind of kills me right now though is trying to get commissions from artists because of, it's uh, it's getting more and more difficult. And I, I blame the scalpers or, or the people who flip their sketches on eBay. Yeah, they're making it much difficult for the real fans to get artwork from from artists. You know, they have every right to do it because it's their art. But you know, the fact that you now you you, you have to sign up, they have to randomly pick your name out of something, and <laughs> of course, it's expensive too because you're in San Diego. Everything's expensive there. Oh yeah, no doubt. And see, I mean, and I'm and I haven't seen that issue too much at other cons. I mean, there are certain artists at other cons that have you know like mandatory rules that you will not break. Oh, <laughs> There are more of them now, which kind of saddened me. But you know, like again, it's you know they're the artists, they're prerogative. Um, you know, you could always just not buy a sketch if, if you know. Worst case, I mean, if you lose in this war, you you save money. If you win, you you get a new piece of art. Now, one thing that kind of got um the the twi- the the twitters <laughs> the twitterers alive and going, I guess uh, the other day, Rich Johnston from the Bleeding Cool site. Um, wrote a post on his site about, you know, trying to make money at San Diego. And one of the posts, now he says he does it in jest or as, as, as a joke, but it definitely didn't come come across that way, was trying to get free sketches from artists and then flipping them on eBay. I remember there were a few people that were highly upset about that, including um, writer Ron Mars. I mean, Ron Mars was going off. And I, I mean, I, I see, and once again, that you know, if somebody posting or saying something like getting free sketches to flip on eBay, that takes away like a like a kid's chance that really wants to get into comics or likes a certain character of possibly getting that sketch that they always wanted. You know what I mean? I know, I know. It's it's honestly, yeah, I find it honestly despicable. You know, because the I mean, artists. They don't have to do free sketches for you, but they'll do it for you anyway because they say, "Hey, you know, you're a fan. You came all the way to see him, and uh, but came, yeah, you, you, you know, if you want something, you know, a little something, then that's fine. But if you're just gonna turn around and sell it on eBay, and you know, like the artist could have been making money doing that thing, and then you're gonna make all this cash for yourself. And that's just wrong. And I, 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 I love Ron Mars. Actually, his 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 Twitter feed is probably one of my favorites because he's very honest. You know. He does not BS with you, and I like that, and I love the fact that he just he just ripped Rich Johnson and you asshole that whole time. Yeah, Rich, Rich is a dick sometimes, and will stick his foot in his mouth repeatedly. I mean, I'm I mean I'm not gonna deny that the guy has done the good has done some good for you know people in the industry, but more than half the time he does something really stupid, you know. But you know, whatever. Are you gonna be traveling? To, are you gonna go to any cons next year? Next year, if all goes as planned, I'm going to C2E2. I will be going to Heroes, which I loved. The, the one time I was able to go, I absolutely loved that show. And I intend to go back. Of course, I'll be doing San Diego. Then uh, then it's going to be Dragon Con and then New York. Are you going to go to any this year? Uh, Besides Dragon- after San Diego? Uh, after San Diego, it's Dragon Con and New York. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be traveling with, uh, with my crew over at Dragon Con. It's gonna be fun. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going there for business or anything, really. I'm just going there to experience it for the weekend. It's a, I hear it's an entirely different kind of con. You know, it's not. Yeah. It's not the con that you're used to. I've never been, so that's why I'm. I may go anyway, but I'm definitely gonna go if uh, we get the Parsec fin- uh, finalist. <laughs> 
Um, By the way, uh, Sean, I found your uh, sound wave, the one they had last year. Yeah. 100 bucks. Yeah, they keep it. <laughs> that's, it's like one of them 76 with $23 for shipping because it's in Hong Kong or one that's located in San Diego for $98 with free shipping. Yeah, they, they can keep it. These are the same. These see those are the same cats that still charge like one twenty one twenty five to one fifty for that Art of He Man book, and or Masters of the Universe book. And I'm like, you know what? No, I'm not feeling that. I, I I'm gonna be honest with you, Sean. I didn't know that they had an, an, art, an art book last year. If I knew that was out there, I would have bought it for myself. Curious to see what was in that book, dude. I'm for real. It's it's pretty it's pretty cool because it's just like all the concept work for all the action figure stuff and like you know the, the one the one well there are a few cool things about the original He Man toys like when you look at those the box art the box art was fabulous. Uh, Earl Norum illustrated a lot of those. Yeah, and um, there's a lot of beautiful artwork, but like concepts for getting the figures together, designs, all this stuff was in this book, and that was the only thing from San Diego that I've like really cared about. You know, I mean, the Green Lantern figures were cool, but I was like, you know what? No, I just want that book. And um, and I didn't even know about the Soundwave. See, I didn't even know about that. And I've been, like, looking for one of those, you know, commemorative-type deals for a while. And I didn't even know that was at San Diego last year. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, but that's how big that show is. You can't possibly know everything that's going on. So. Yeah, it, it, it does help. There, there's a couple of great resources you can find on the internet if you want to look up stuff on the on the shows. I mean, there's a great website called the sdccblog.com. They they, they seek to it looks like I think someone is someone that works at the convention or something, but they they, they pretty much put everything together. Um, they have like they list out all the after party stuff that you might want to check out, uh, like the, all the offsite events. And there's a zombie one this year again, which is awesome. Again, it's taking place while I'm doing my panel. Which makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, toy, they, they, go ahead. toy dirt. <laughs> there's there's a there's there's a ton of there's a ton of stuff going on, and I, I, I wish I could do everything. But the one thing, the most important thing you need to learn when you go to San Diego is that you can't possibly do everything you want to do. So just enjoy what you can, you know. Yeah. Now, also speaking of enjoying the con and enjoying San Diego, I take it there there are also a lot of good eateries. Um, Oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, see, because I, I, I've, it's been a while since I've been to San Diego. I, last time I went to San Diego, it was, it was um, our, our honeymoon uh, for the wife and I, and uh, we were out in San Diego for a while, and enjoyed some great food. How many years ago was that? Was your honeymoon? That was uh, 2007. Oh my God, that was fairly recent. <laughs> um, yeah, we know, that- dude. In all, in all seriousness, we were out like our, for our honeymoon. We were out the week before Comic Con. <laughs> we were out the week before wow. Comic Con in, in, in 07. And like, we land and like, you know, we hop on the bus to get to the rental car. And like, you know, we're driving, you know, the bus is driving us to our rental car spot. And we see like all these, uh, I think they were Iron Man posters at the time. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was Iron Man movie posters all over the place, like all over the, uh, it was all over the city. And then like all, all on, on the main roads. It's, I love it. The, the whole city's so into this convention. And it, and you could tell. I mean, I mean, you mentioned eateries. If you go to a restaurant in the downtown area during Comic Con week, yeah. there's gonna be uh, waiter. Uh, the servers are gonna be in costume. <laughs> there are uh, people who give discounts because you're going to con. If you show up in costume, it's 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 a lot of fun. You know, they they recognize how big this convention is. It's actually the biggest convention the city has. Wow. So, it's uh, it's 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 pretty amazing, but. 
you mentioned good places to eat. Uh, what type of food do you do? <laughs> um, like for me, like I said, some some tasty Chinese food, uh, Mexican, uh, or uh, some Thai. Ah, cool. Okay, there's a lot of good places. There's an area called there's there's an area called the Hillcrest, and there's a lot of good. There's a nice mix of every, of a lot of food there. Um, maybe the downtown area by the Gasland Quarter, close to where the convention center is. There's also a lot of good ones there. But as far as like the, the more exotic food, like Thai, uh, like Thai food, probably up in Hillcrest. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give you more information for specific ones. I mean, me, uh, like the, the go-to places for me as far as Mexican food is concerned, like there's Lucha Libre, which is, uh, you know, made to look like, uh, it, it, there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, like uh, like luchador memorabilia and stuff in there, uh, championship belts, that sort of thing. Oh, wow. That's nice. And they have the most amazing burritos. Actually, they got featured in Man vs. Food recently, which is pretty cool. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> and then uh, there's a place called uh, my favorite my favorite barbecue place, which is uh, Phil's over by, close to the San Diego Sports Arena. That is, they have the most amazing ribs ever. My God, it's 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 like uh, it's like good Texas barbecue. Yeah, but kind of it's it's got its own San Diego. It's got its own twist to it, though. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, and of course, best burgers are in Hodads, which is up in uh, Ocean Beach. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, oh. you making me hungry, man. You got to stop. Yeah. <laughs> There's guys. a lot of places to eat out here. I mean, San Diego's not known for... Uh, for for food and its cuisine, but there's a lot of really really good top notch places here. I actually, you know, we've got, then you mentioned Comic Con. I almost became a uh, a wheelman for a group of comic pros this year to take them on a little food foodie tour of San Diego. But the thing was, they wanted to do this thing during uh, preview night hours of the convention, and I have to be responsible and take care of my booth. <laughs> yeah, so you could have been you could have been one of the ones that drove uh, CB Sabolski around. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we we were emailing for a bit, and then I asked him, uh, "What time did you want to do this?" Six p.m. Like, oh, I can't. <laughs> 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 I have to be at my booth. Senior <laughs> Vice up. President C.D. Sobolski. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I know he's going to be there. I know uh, uh, Philip Seblik of uh, Top Cow, the publisher. And be one of those guys too. If you think about it, it's like a, it's like a who's who of like you know comic execs, <laughs> and, like, and I'm like, man, I could have I could have been that guy. <laughs> you never know where being a wheel man could take you. Oh yeah. No. And the things I would have done it anyway, just because you know, to kind of, be, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I love my city. You know, I, lo I love this place, and I'm all about you know, showing people around, taking them to all the good places here. You know, so that's really my main. Um, my main motivation for wanting to do it to begin with. You're working, you're drawing, you're eating. When the hell do you even have time to do your podcast? Oh, I <laughs> segway. <laughs> Very, that's a that's a good segue. I need to I need to be better at that myself. Uh, I I just do, man. And sometimes you know, I just say this so happens that I'm online and I'm chatting with people and. Well, I try to make a podcast out of it. I mean, most of the time I try to just do it by myself and I just talk about what I'm reading or watching or whatever at any given time. And then sometimes I try to bring other people and make it more entertaining because I think I'm pretty boring by myself. <laughs> now, now, that podcast is called Loika Mania. That's correct. And Loika uh, Mania is part of the uh, comic book noise family? Yes. Yes. Um, now, the Comic Book Noise family, that is that is a plethora of podcasts under one umbrella, correct? 
That's right. Okay, cool. Now, um, you're about 12 episodes in now, right? Yep, 12 episodes. Uh, episode 13 coming out on Wednesday. See how quick we are? Oh, yeah, yeah. You move with the quickness. <laughs> I, just listened, yeah. I just listened to episode 12 today So with, uh, with David A. Price of 11 O'Clock Comics and Derek Coward. So uh, one thing I like about your show, and sometimes we do our best to do it here, is like today, like the episode I listened to today, episode 12, it was like having a conversation on the back porch and sipping a beer. I think a lot of gym podcasts, you know, are, you know, are like that. I mean, look at 11 o'clock comics, for example. You mentioned them. And, you know, it's, it's just good to have a conversational thing between friends because it, it, you kind of get your, re- get your listener to want to participate. You know, that's that's what it's all about. You want to you want to get them to be interested. You want to get them hooked to the point where they wish they could be talking to you. And that's, that's part of the fun. Of course, you know, you have to be, you know, you have to have good things to talk about, too. I mean, I'll be honest, like, that's the first time I... Uh, that's the first time we where we really where we really went free form with the conversation, mm-hmm. and it it was it was you know it was pretty cool because we went all kinds of directions as far as what we were talking about, what comics we were reading. It's probably the most diverse uh, uh, list of comics we ever had to talk about. I mean, the stuff that Derek brought up and what David brought up and and, and what I ended up bringing up. You know, of course, the pro wrestling talk didn't, you know, also helps. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that, man. Like you guys were like taking me back, especially David. David started like naming like all these old wrestling federations and like oh, old, old school wrestlers. Dave, I'm like, it's Saturday morning all over again. Dave, Dave, yeah, I haven't. Plus, I haven't quite gotten that far into it. Yeah, wait, wait till you get into that part, man. It's it's pretty awesome. David has a really really good memory. You know, he 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 just recalls everything. Like, you know, without without even flinching, he just knows. Like, he just spits out all this information. Like, whoa, really? Wow, you know that? <laughs> he, he he's he's an amazing guy. Derek Derek's great too. And they, they 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 know what they're talking about. And honestly, they made me look good in that show. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, for a second, I thought he was going to bring up the Von Eric family. <laughs> and I was just like, "Whoa, he's about to get deep." Let me just let me just stop everything I'm doing so I can listen to this part of the show. But no, it's it's a good time. Seriously, thank you. That, that, that was one of my favorite episodes. Uh, the next episode that's coming out on Wednesday is actually me and a bunch of my local buddies, and we talk about the San Diego con and what it, and how it is for us. And it's it gets all kinds of ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. I do have to take up one thing that y'all uh, have an issue with something y'all brought up on the sh- on that episode. Memphis Beat. <laughs> I'm, I live in Memphis. There's three things about. There's a couple things about that show you need to know. One, there are literally no Elvis impersonators in the in Memphis unless they're from out of city and they come in for Dead Week, which is in about th- a month. Two. <laughs> That show was shot in New Orleans, not Memphis. <laughs> Nothing about that show was shot in Memphis other than some exterior shots of uh, Beale Street. You got it. So that's the funny thing about it from a Memphis perspective is like that show is so not Memphis. It's scary. <laughs> you want to know Memphis? Watch Police Women of Memphis. <laughs> on you watch that show, you're going to go, oh, my God, he lives in a hellhole. And I did, uh, because one of the, one of the both of the women that work on there, the woman named Joy, she works out of the precinct that's the near where I live, and the other black woman that's on that show works at the precinct near where I work. So it's like, oh my god, it's work. <laughs> I have actually seen my job at one point in that show. Wow. <laughs> See, 
I never watched that show. I, I I've heard of it, and then I, I saw Jason Lee was in it, and I, I just oh, think of Jason Lee, and I think of how he named his son Pilot Inspector, and I thought that was wrong. <laughs> well, he is a Scientologist, so that too. <laughs> yeah, which also reminds just... me of the. Did did I ever share the like? Well, we're still kind of uh, you know within within topics here. Did I ever share the uh, the Scientologist experience we had at Comic Con a few years ago? No, no, break it down. Okay, uh, it's actually our first year exhibiting. We were we were our booth was next to uh, Galaxy Press's booth. Galaxy Press sells all the L. Ron Hubbard books. All right, <laughs> and. They have this very aggressive tactic where someone from outside of the booth will walk up to people walking by them and they would ask them questions. And they would ask them, hey, do you like comic books? Yeah. Do you like graphic novels? Yeah. Do you like Neil Gaiman? Yeah. And then he would and hand them a copy of Battlefield. Awesome. And this is like a graphic novel without the pictures. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, they would, and they would literally scare people out of coming to our booth because you know on the way on you know when people are walking they run into them first before they hit us yeah and then they were like you know they were trying to approach these kids dressed up as Harry Potter and they tried they were handing them dianetics and saying this is like <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> hold up they did not hand a child dianetics well I don't think it's a child probably a teenager or something oh but yeah, still, still have you read dianetics Sean no I have not I have that was a week out of my life I wish I could have that <laughs> man. That was the most insane thing ever, and I and <laughs> we we were very antagonistic towards it the whole that whole time. We go we go end this. We're gonna bring it back to the positive, and we're not gonna we're not gonna take it back to Mindhead. For for those that watch <laughs> Bowfinger, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, no, but no, in all in all seriousness, um, Pat, tell the people what booth they can find you at again. What what will you have available for the people to uh, check out? Okay. Um, I can be found in booth 1804 and 1806 in San Diego. I will be debuting the full-length villain graphic novel, as well as uh, this is also the first time we will bring in San Diego the blacklisted graphic novel, which we debuted over at uh, the Emerald City Comic Con earlier this year. Uh, yeah, and of course, there's a bunch of other guys here at the booth sharing the booth with me, and they have a lot of books, a lot, a lot of good stuff there. And just take a look at their stuff and uh, hopefully give them, you know, give them a try. Very cool. And where can people check out Loikamania, the podcast? Um, you can just go to uh, comicbooknoisefamily.com and look up Loikamania under there, or you can go to my blog at patloika.com. It's actually a Tumblr blog that I have, but I, I repurposed it as my website because I'm, I have no time to create a full, real website yet. Mm-hmm. So I would have all the episodes there that, that, that I you know, put up as links. And everything, everything you need from me, really. I've, I've been doing, like, I've been photo blogging like for the past uh, few days. Like, well, like some of my favorite photos from the past few years of Comic Con I've been to, for example. I've been you know, blogging about you know random things here and there. So you can just go through there, and if anything, anything Pat Loika is there, or of course follow me on Twitter at, at Pat Loika. Thank you for coming on the show, man. Had oh, a, yes, definitely. Thank you. Had a really good time with, with you here, man. And best of luck in San Diego as well. Oh, thank you. I, I think it's going to be, you know, regardless of what happens, I think it's going to be a fun show. It's, uh, it's going to be a good time. Very cool. And, you know, once again, we will be living vicariously through you with all those pictures that you take. And so I can get mad at all the toys that I can't get. 
<laughs> oh, I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to take extra pictures of the toys just just for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, player man. Hey, thank All you right. so thank you so much for being a part of this. All right, thank you. Hey, you're welcome. Have a great have a great week, Pat. Thank you. All right, dude. I have a stack here of a lot of comics that I got from you. You're hearing this, right? Mm -hmm. That I got from this indoor flea market. It's about 20-something comics, dude, from the golden age all the way up to 91. How much do you think I paid for this stack of comics? I say you paid about 40 bucks. You are incorrect, sir. But you were close. How much did you pay? 30 (laughs) <laughs> What's okay? Thirty dollars. So for thirty dollars, what did thirty dollars for thirty dollars? What did you find? Oh, and let me tell you, a lot of these are in pretty decent shape too, man. I got Amazing Spider-Man one thirty-four. Get out! I did. It was just the first appearance of. Do you know who? The Jackal. The Tarantula. Oh, <laughs> oh not him. Is he? The, that, is he the dude with like the uh, spikes on the end of his shoes? You know that's right. Oh, he's awful. Oh, no, he's not. Listen to this cover. You are but a Spider-Man. I am the Tarantula, and my touch means death. (laughs) Uh, I miss those covers. And then Spidey goes, he's thinking in a thought ball. He says, he's not kidding. One of those steel spikes catches me. I'll be shredded. No, you'll be stabbed. (laughs) Shredded. (laughs) Shredded like shredded wheat. But you want to want to hear something crazy? Yeah. The very last panel. Listen to this. Well, Spider-Man, it seems we meet a gang, and this time I am in control. This time you have to face the Punisher. First cameo appearance in Marvel Universe. Very nice. I was like, yay. Yeah, and it's a dude. I'm telling you, it's not near mint, but there's not a tear on this thing. The spine is pretty good. I like it. Anyway, then I got Amazing Spider-Man 145. The scorpion stings but once. And it's a And you know what's cool about these books, too? What's that? This is like the original Clone Saga. Like 145 and then the next one I'm going to talk about. With the Gwen Stacy clone and the Spider-Man clone and all that. And I also got Amazing Spider-Man 150. And it's just every villain just whooping his ass on the cover. It was pretty cool. I haven't read it yet, but the cover's nice. I, I like I'm like you, man. I miss those old covers, dude. To me it sold the book more than what they do with a lot of today's covers. Don't get me wrong, a lot of today's covers are very beautiful. I just like that, you know, being I'm I'm trying to sell you something. I'm I'm really trying to sell you something. So take a look and get hopefully this cover will entice you enough to open up that first page and get you hyped to buy it. I just miss that. And some people say, Well, that's just juvenile and silly. I'm like, you know, it's it's comics. It's comics. Can't can't we mix it up? Can I have my my fun covers along with you know these new age theatrical covers that everybody's trying to do nowadays? Can't we mix it up a bit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I, I I digress. Please continue. Then I got uh, Marvel Comics, the Frankenstein Monster number seven. There is and a Frankenstein this- Marvel book. Yeah, let me tell you what year it's from. In case you want to look at it. And the cover's kind of cool because it's just like some old gypsy lady yelling at Frankenstein. And Frankenstein got a, a boulder in his hand. He just he's just throwing it at people. <laughs> he's just he's just wrecking villages and shit. 
It was um, 1973, November 1973. So that was actually before I was born. And then I got Fantastic Four 142. Now, is that a Perez Fantastic Four? Buckler. Ah, oh, Rich Buckler. Cool. Yes, yes. And it's the thing in a village, and there's like this weird dude. The coming of Dark Off, the Death Demon. And he's like shooting something out of his forehead at Thing's forehead. And Thing's about to hit him with a lamppost. And he's holding some blonde broad in his arms. Like he's about to do something. Good stuff right there. What's the name of that villain again? Dark Off, the Death Demon. <laughs> oh, thank you. I just wanted to double check just to make sure I didn't hear that. <laughs> I didn't hear that incorrectly. <laughs> and I, if anybody find that's how you have to say his name from now on. <laughs> Dark off the death demon. And then I got Marvel double feature featuring Captain America and Iron Man number fifteen, and it's a, <laughs> it's a Red Skull versus Captain America book that's on the cover. Hmm. Struggle all you will, Avenger. Not even you can survive the Electron Chair. You know what, man? If they ever make audio books of just covers with crazy <laughs> stuff on the front, you need to get a job doing that, man. <laughs> you need to get a job doing that. We just call it like audio covers. There you go. And we can mark. See, man, you know what? We market more shit on this show. Neon Ninjas. Neon Ninjas. Audio <laughs> covers. We we could be bajillionaires. All we need is that Stan Lee money. Yeah. Not that Stan Leroy money. Yeah, we need Stan, Stan. <laughs> that Stan Leroy money. That ain't, that ain't coming in, man. I'm trying. Please believe. Uh, and then. <laughs> Then I got a uh, Marvel premiere featuring Iron Fist number 22. Oh, that's awesome. Inside the face beneath the mask. So I think this is the first time you find out he's Daniel Rain. Rand. Death duel with a night prowling ninja. Uh, Ultimate Kung Fu showdown. Bitches. Doesn't say bitches. I added that. <laughs> then I got Marvel team up number 47. Spider-Man and the Thing versus the Basilisk. What? Yep. The Basilisk? That's right. If the thing couldn't beat me, Webhead, how do you, how do you figure you can? Was Spidey's. there was there like a dun 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 on the on the, on the bottom of the page? <laughs> no, he's. Uh, I don't even know. He's like they're up above New York. The thing's knocked out. This dude's got in his hand, and then he's shooting like heat vision at Spider Man, hitting him in the shoulder, and he's. The only way I can describe it is he's standing on something that looks like a big, long tube of uh, raspberry sherbet. Okay. And then Spidey says, to save New York, I have no choice. I have to fight the Basilisk. Dun, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> oh, you're going to like these two. Marvel Team Up 63 featuring Spider-Man and the Iron Fist. Oh, that's sweet. Versus the Steel Serpent, oh. who looks like Iron Fist. And then there's Misty Knight, all 70s out, looking like Pam Greer in the back getting out of a car. With the big-ass afro? You know that's true. Oh, that's awesome. And then I have the actual second part of it. This is crazy, which is Spider-Man and the Daughters of the Dragon. Oh, that's sweet. Yes, if death be my destiny. So is Colleen Wing in that one, too? Yep. Oh, that's man, that's fantastic. Yeah. The team-up comics and a lot of the um, old-school Iron Fist stuff... 
to me is great reading. I actually went through the um, Essential Power Man and Iron Fist a couple of days ago, and mm-hmm. I didn't know that John Byrne did a lot of did a lot of the work in that. Yeah, man, that was a lot of fun reading. And then I got I found a lot of team up books actually. I got Marvel two and one. It's the Thing and Captain Marvel. It's the name of the t- it's the Andromeda rubout. See, but all all the 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 thing two and ones had those cool names. You yep. know, like the Andromeda Burnout, Project Pegasus, stuff like, oh, that stuff is great. And the cover, dude, is there's a 30s gangster car rolls up and the thing's walking down the street and they're whacking them Godfather Tollbooth style. There's like four gangsters with the windows rolled down just shooting them. <laughs> and Captain Marvel's falling over the, flying over the, the, the roof of the, th- I always liked the original Captain Marvel, man. Yeah. I don't know why, but I did. I yeah, I thought he was pretty dope too. See, and Probably, I didn't, I didn't and oh. I didn't read I didn't read any of the original well Marvel's Captain Marvel until that Life and Death of Captain Marvel um those books came out. Oh, yes. That's the first time that's the first <laughs> I time. have those, dude, 1 and 2. Yeah, it's the first time I ever read the character in in, in the 80s. It's the first time I ever read it. I was like, this dude is cool. He's dead. What do you mean he's dead? I can't get any more of these. Oh, I was I was salty. Because my comic book shop, <laughs> my comic book shop didn't have any of the back issues, right? So you know that's when the searching began. So yeah, that stuff was great. First time I read Captain Marvel, the death of Captain Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> that's the honest to God truth, man. Uh, then I got Marvel two and one fifty five with the Thing and Giant Man. Now we all know who the Giant Man of nineteen seventy nine is, don't um, we? That, that would be Hank Pym. No, it would not. That would you, be Bill Foster. You're talking about Black Goliath. No, he was Giant Man in 79. Well, before he was Black Goliath. I know he was Black Goliath. I put the cover on my website. It's Black Goliath. He will always be Black Goliath. You can't change that. Marvel named everybody black in like the 70s. No, We have to go through this again, dude. Yes, we do, because I have to remind people. Well, let me tell you something. It's 1979. His name is Giant Man. Black Giant Man. No, it's not Black Giant Man. (laughs) I'm sorry, please. New Globe, it's New Globe Berserk and Project Pegasus. Project Pegasus was the Star Labs of its day. Yeah, but the thing of difference is, is like Project Pegasus really sucked because all this shit went down at Project Pegasus. Hey man, anybody can break into Project Pegasus. Hey, like, I'm, stop. <laughs> I'm for real, man. Every everybody broke into Project Pegasus. I mean, White Bunny broke into Pro- Project Pegasus once. <laughs> you know, Stilt Man broke into Project Pegasus. All them janky ass villains broke into Project Pegasus. Man, look, I could go there with like a Kroger's a Kroger's Plus card and just like swipe in and get into Project Pegasus. <laughs> and for those who don't know, Kroger's is a grocery store. It may not be in your neck of the woods, but trust me, their Plus card gets you everywhere. Go ahead. I keep interrupting you, man. Please continue. That's all right, dude. It, I like two hour shows. It's cool. <laughs> I got nothing to do. Then I got Mon- Marvel Comics Monsters on the Prowl. Number 22 and 26. The world trembles when the monster runs amok. Amok. Were these just made up, you know, like made up monsters that Marvel made? Or were these like Frankenstein, Dracula, Creature from the Black Lagoon? or? Right. Uh, I think it was just made up stuff. This is from 72. Okay. Steve Ditko. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, that's some classiness right there. These I'm going to... Uh... I can't wait to read this one, dude. The shock ending of this tale leaves you breathless. 
Only one man on Earth knows the incredible secret of the two-headed thing. Also, another offbeat little classic by Lee and Ditko. Do not panic. That's good stuff, dude. I also got Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. number two. That's a nice find. I mean, for essentially you only spent a buck a piece for those books. That is a hell of a find. And, dude, you want to know the truth? It's got one little bend on the back cover and a little tiny wear on the top staple. Other than that, the sucker is fine. And it's him shooting a big, ugly robot. You, you can't you can't Man, that. Is, is that all like Steranko? Steranko did the cover, so I'm assuming he did the inside, but I haven't even opened it up, man. Oh, okay. Because I, I will open it up right now, live on the air. <laughs> I, I know that there were some issues of uh, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I want to say Steranko was the artist, and to um, get, them, get them through the comics code, Marvel had another artist change up some panels on, on certain issues. Uh, Jim Steranko, writer-illustrator. Yep. There you go. This is from 1968, July 2nd. Needless to say, I'll be going back to this flea market. But anyway, um, let's see what else. Uh, Marvel Comics Uncanny Tales from the Grave. There's no way out of the city morgue. Nice little zombie tale right there. Yes. I got DC Comics Our Army at War, number 46. Joe Kubert, Batman 267. <laughs> with batman he's all like in the shadow and there's death death is throwing a card at it and and on the card it says you are cordially invited to attend the execution of the batman <laughs> oh this was a good find too man i got the demon number five seven eight and ten kirby kirby and then this this one man i cannot wait to read this one the Doom Patrol number one oh six. What happened? And, what happened? What's on the cover? What happened in that one? Oh Lord! Holy changelings! Mister one oh three is back again and bigger than ever, and he's got me. <laughs> and this fool's got molten lava bottom half body, diamond upper half, uh, and then he's like iron, mm -hmm. and then <laughs> and then there's a a little thing, and it's like. The beginning, the new series that pros to snap, crackle, and pop, the private world of Negative Man, the origin, and then um, it's got this Mr. 103 stepping on the back of Robot Man, and he says, couldn't you write your thrilling autobiography after we get him off my back? <laughs> Our fabulous freaks face the super finks called the Blood Brothers. <laughs> nice. Yes. This one's kind of in, in shoddy shape, but you know, I've never really seen some old issues of Doom Patrol. So I had to grab it. And uh, I got the Big Book of War, GI Combat, number 229 from the 80s. That's Joe Kubert cover. I don't know if he did the inside, but it's two haunting tank thrillers, a bell for dying. The barefoot GIs. <laughs> was, the there walking... was, was there a barefoot quick kick in there? I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Always comes back to quick kick. Mm -hmm. No, listen to this, dude, right? A dollar, okay? No ads, cover-to-cover -cover action. And how many pages was that? A lot. For a dollar. You figure for a dollar, it was, you know, probably, because comics around this time, I think, were 60 cents, maybe. Yeah. Well, they might even actually been a little cheaper than that. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's, man, that's a hell of a deal, though. That's probably a thick-ass book, comic, you know, at least for that time, for a buck. Oh. 
I mean, the only time you get a comic for a dollar now is when Vertigo gives you a number one of a new series. Right. But yeah, it's all like all different. Like you got some of the dudes from the losers in here. You got all kinds of dude. They even have, I'm not even making this up. They even have a one page story on the back of the cover. No, they don't. Yes, they do. It's called deadly questions Boy, written really- by Paul S. Newman and drawn by Dick Ayers. Oh, Dick Ayers. Yeah. Oh, boy, they put everything in that one. It's like, that may have been the last issue of GI Combat. Oh, no. they. There's another one-pager <laughs> on the front. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> then I got, dude, I found a lot of old war comics, man. Lieutenant Hunters. Our Fighting Forces presents Lieutenant Hunters Hellcats, number 107, 111. <laughs> Dude, they have a picture of all these army dudes beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> and they have a s- Lieutenant Hunter sitting there going, only Hellcats still left standing on their feet will go on this mission. So you got to beat the shit out of your friends just to go on a mission. Mm-hmm. And then I got 114, and uh, Lieutenant Hunter's pointing a gun at his uh, platoon. I don't think I'd want to be in Lieutenant Hunter's platoon. No. He's pointing a gun at them, and he says, okay, you Hellcats, who's got the guts to take this gun away from me? <laughs> but listen to the names of the dudes. This is a Joe Kubert cover, too. I got to see what year this is from. I think it's a late 70s, I mean, early 70s. Brute, Juggler, Swinger, and Snake Oil. Snake Oil? Snake Oil. Well, man, we could get a Snake Oil versus Snake Eyes comic out right now. That would be fire. <laughs> oh, this is from 68. So these are from the late 60s. But yeah, but see, like some of these books, man, you got to realize, like from the fifties or whatever to to all the way to like I think it was the to the seven mid seventies, they would take characters out of these books, man, and like one of them would become the one of the members of the losers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then they put them all together and made the losers. So it's pretty cool. Um, I also got number one sixteen, <laughs> Pearl from the Cash Bar. Jeez. This this one is awesome. This one is it's uh it's the same. It's uh our fighting forces featuring Lieutenant Hunter's Hellcats number one seventeen, dude. Okay, and it's got the platoon yelling, Hellcats! What the devil are those things? You know what they are, Sean? What are they? <laughs> this is why we read comics. Nazi abominable snowmen. You, you know I'm ending the show right now. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm ending the show right now. It's awesome. Nazi abominable snowman. It's these there's three big ass Sasquatches, right? <laughs> Covered in snow with a with a with uh pouch belts around their waist with with a Nazi belt buckle and each one of them is wearing an SS helmet. No. Yes they are. Wait a minute. Joe Kubert cover. Why would a snow snowman wear you know what it's comics why am i even trying to no, it's not a this? snowman it's an abominable snowman <laughs> not like frosty although that would be kind of cool <laughs> nazi frosty that'd be kind of cool oh. that would fuck up some christmases for some little kids <laughs> that'd be cool anyway <laughs> that's from 1969 the 60s were a crazy time yes yes they were um let's see i got the 91 just society of america 
It was the uh, what was it eight parter, and they would do like the Flash, the you know all them. Like each issue was like one person, and uh, I want to try and get this whole series. I think I have another issue somewhere in the attic, but I don't know. And then we got Commandy, the last boy on Earth, number sixteen, where he's rescuing humans from experimental animals research lab. Tell me that's a Kirby book. You know it is. Commandy is one of the greatest comics ever, and I've only read one issue because that is the craziest shit you will ever read in your life. I think there's a hardcover of all the Kirby Commandy stuff. I must have it. I you love know what? Commandy. If anybody would know about it, it would be Vince B because he's a ginormous Kirby fanatic. And I think he has, there's a hardcover for the demon. I know that. It might even be an omnibus for the demon. I think these all might be. I'm not sure. Hmm. Anyway. It says on the cover, an eerie tale of two doctors. One of them is a gorilla. A, do a gorilla doctor, dude. You can't beat that. You Well, a bonable Nazi snowman, I think, is one step higher than a... <laughs> <laughs> and then I got... Dude, listen to this one. It's not really in all that great a shape, but I got Superman Annual Number 1. What? Superman Annual Number One from 1963, dude. Really? Yep. Damn. It's not in that great a shape, but it is unbelievable. It's all reprints. It's all reprints, but it's an 80-page giant for 25 cents. And it says, if Superman had turned to crime, and it's him in his Superman outfit with a Robin mask on, with a... <laughs> He's got a, a money bag that says $100,000 on it, and he's flying through the air. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Never, never mind. I don't even want to know. Once again, why am I trying to rationalize this shit? Please continue. I'm serious, dude. And I didn't know in the 60s that they actually had bags of money that had the money, like how much was in each bag. That's what I was going to say. And that's that why made I didn't it very convenient for robbery. <laughs> don't grab that one. It's only got 50 bucks in it. Grab that one. <laughs> then it's got a picture of a devastated earth and Jimmy Olsen and Superman damn near holding hands walking down the street. Uh, and it says, if Superman couldn't save the world. And then there's a picture of mom, pa Kent. And it says, if the Kents had adopted Supergirl, and it's a little picture of, of a little Supergirl lifting up a big ass tree out of the ground. Uh -huh. And then this is my favorite one, dude. It's a picture of the, of the future. And there's a building behind him. It kind of looks all jetsoned out. And there's a car that looks like a it. It looks like a spaceship, but it's got wheels. And it says, "If Superman retired, and there's an old ass geriatric Superman, and his his costume's all loose fitting, and he's got a cane and glasses, just looking at you." Is he? Is he? Does he have like his fist shaking? Get off my lawn! <laughs> no, he's just looking at you like, finally, you've come to visit me at the home. I've got it. I've got it. Oh. <laughs> Is he looking for Mr. Wilson so they can beat up Dennis? <laughs> Dude, he does look like me. <laughs> and then the last book I got, all right, is... Do you, do you like the Christmas story? Yes. Okay. I have an official Red Rider Dell comic. 
No, you don't. Yes, I do. From 1954, number Red Rider Comics, number 132. Did anybody get their eyes July shot? of 1954. And it's just Red Rider and Fool's Cargo. Oh, my Lord. There's an ad for a Milky Way bar. So, yeah, dude, this is crazy. That is, so you got all those books for 30 bucks. 30 beans. You know what, man? There should be a show on the Travel Channel with you going to flea markets across the country getting comics. I would, I'd be down for that, dude. I mean, we got dudes traveling around the world to eat food and break records. How can't we? You know, we should be able to have a dude that travels around the world to get comics. I, I would like to do that. <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> Make think, it happen. I think you need to contact TLC. And, you know, and just and just start talking to the peoples. See, then that way, we ain't got to look at that that John and Kate bullshit. And what makes it worse is, is that every time you see Kate on the Internet, she looks more and more like Andy Warhol. <laughs> and it bothers me. <laughs> Cut the shit out. Wear your hair normal. It's a painting of realism. No, it's some bullshit. <laughs> that's that's what it is. I'm sick of them. Only on, on TV. You know, in magazines and stuff. I, you know, I just, I just want to see. And this is why I, quit, I, so I can't fool with TV that much anymore. I got my shows, like the Human Target. Love the Human Target. That's 80s television brought back to life. Hell yeah! There's some silly stuff in the Human Target. There are a couple episodes where certain things should be seen, or you know, or certain, like say for instance, like the episode where he's at that embassy with the, um, with the other lady. And, you know, they, they uh, escape the Russians and they have to hop over this wall and the Russians get stormtrooper aim and they can't hit them. And it takes them forever to climb over the wall. And there are no scuffs, no damages, no ripped clothing, nothing. Not well, that's just. Oh, go ahead. You're right. That's 80s TV come to life. Yeah, it is 80s TV. But the I... A-team in one episode would go through $450,000 worth of ammunition, <laughs> not hitting nothing but a tire. <laughs> one tire to flip a fucking jeep over everybody's fine and how come every week on the at least every other week on the a team a vehicle got flipped and, and mr t had to flip somebody over a car yes just pick them up and throw them <laughs> in slow motion it, exactly like it, i mean at first it was cool because it was a bad guy but then it was like mr you know what time it is and he throw him over the car it's crazy shit dude yeah. yes, it but was. i i just i want to say two things about this red rider comic okay okay you could get a 12-issue subscription for a dollar, okay? Mm. And there's actually a... I'm not making this up, dude. <laughs> for real summer fun, buy and shoot an official Red Rider De Daisy BB gun. Bust get yours now for three ninety eight. Man, folks, I'm sure folks were feuding back then. Oh, for three ninety eight. I mean, granted, now three ninety eight back then was probably the equivalent of like fifty bucks. But <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it, it, it wasn't like everybody could like cop like three ninety eight to go grab a gat and just start shooting other kids. Dude, let me tell you something, man. If I was a kid and that that's how much that cost, I'd have a freaking arsenal in my room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It'd be that episode like a Family Guy where he pulled the baseball bat. And the, and the wall opened, and there was just all kinds of <laughs> guns and missiles in that secret room and shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that is my find, dude. Well, and I do. I keep an eye out, man. Any kind of kung fu shit, I look for it for you, man. Oh, no, and I appreciate it, man. I mean, that stuff's kind of hard to come by. Those old school Iron Fist books, Shang-Chi stuff, stuff's real hard to come by. And it's really hard to also find those books in decent condition. You know, I'm the type of person I just take what I can get, and I appreciate it. 
I've got a couple of books, but one I'm going to talk about is actually a, a comic from Boom Kids. It's Donald Duck and Friends, and this is issue 347. I think they're on like 351 or 352 by now. And what happens is the, the premise of the story is that Donald Duck used to be a spy, but he doesn't he doesn't know that he used to be a spy, and that spy is Double O Duck. And this introduces uh, reintroduces Donald to his uh, former personality of Double O Duck and reintroduces the reader to that as well. Is, is he being played by Cedric the Entertainer? Because I think I've seen this movie. We are not going to talk about The Cleaner. <laughs> Besides the fact that when they were first making The Cleaner, it wasn't called The Cleaner. The original premise was supposed to be Cedric the Entertainer and Arnold Schwarzenegger together. Schwarzenegger was supposed to, like, assassinate uh, Cedric's character or something like that. He's supposed to kill him. But somehow Cedric ends up saving Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then, then it becomes, like, a buddy, a buddy comedy, a buddy action comedy. Well, you know, Arnold decided to run. Um, and that changed everything. So, Sean, and, Sean, I, I, I ran for governor and things of that nature. <laughs> I know, governor. I know. But then they had to change the whole premise of the film. And in comes Lucy Liu, a, a different script. You know, and then you get to see stuff like Cedric the Entertainer dressed up in Dutch gear saying, you've never had Dutch chocolate? And um, my feelings got hurt. <laughs> because that's one dude... That's one dude that is so talented and very funny. He is a very talented dude. And has been in some of the worst movies I have ever, ever seen. And it just continues to piss me off. I'm like, who tells us, tells him that this is a good idea? And they probably say, oh, we'll give you producer credit. Well, it's not going to help if the movie's bad. But I digress. I'm sorry. Well, um, producer credit gives you more money in the back end. Yeah, but the movie has to make money first. Well, see, that's the thing. But nowadays they hope for, even if it sucks in the theater, that people get it on DVD. Okay, I got you. But that that Hollywood math is shady, though. But, um, but it's hey, a, oh, well, okay. anyway, sorry. we just went on a big tangent right yeah, there. I'm yeah, sorry. Yes, we did. But that's all right. Um, but no, the storyline's called Double O Duck. And I'm taking that this was not originally an Italian comic because it's uh, written by Fausto Vitaliano with art by Andrea uh Frank Frachero, I think. And I, and I apologize if I mispronounced your name, Andrea. It says here that the book has a, trans, has a translator. So I'm thinking that this originally came from Italy and they just ported it over and translated and, you know, changed up the dialogue. I love this book. I mean, really? the, the art is beautiful. I, I mean, Andrea, Andrea's artwork is just lovely. Lovely. I mean, it, to me, it's like watching... To me, it's like watching. It's like a combination of like Carl Barks meets Duck, the uh, animated Ducktale series. That's what the art looks like to me. The colors are just real bright. The stories are. The, the story was fun. It made me laugh. The normal page has at least a minimum. Of, has a minimum of like six panels, and they use every panel. There is there is no such thing as a wasted panel in this comic. Andrea uses every single panel. Effectively, I love it. Wow, I I, I love it. You know, there's a lot of quirky characters in here. Um, also, like not the not the big boss, but the big boss's assistant um, in this book to uh, help Donald Duck uh, re reclaim his status as Double O Duck. To me, this is good comics, straight up. I know it says Boom Kids, and some adults might not dig it. This is the comic I think that's for that's for everybody. Like, say for instance, folks our age that used to watch Ducktales way back when, go cop this. You'll like it. Or go cop it for your kids. 
and you want to get your comics in the you want to get your kids in the comics, have them read this. They will love it. It's two ninety nine. The next thing I have here is from Image. It's a one shot, sixty four pages. Colt Noble and the Megalords. Oh yes. This Dude, book is, I love Sealy, man. This book is fantastic. And I know I, I use the word fantastic a lot, and I need to go to my thesaurus. I need to have my portable rogers with me. I'm just going to use the word fantastic a lot for this. Yeah, satirical, full of comedy. This is not for kids. I'm letting let you know this right now. It's not for kids. It's basically if you loved He-Man as a child, if you loved uh, Voltron or uh, Thundercats, you need to really pick up this book. As a matter of fact, you know what? I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I know you got things to say about it, Donnie. So please preach. Oh, no. You know what, dude? Actually, you go ahead because I am actually halfway through it. But this it just did not disappoint me at all. The only reason I am halfway through it is because I did a lot of overtime this week <laughs> and I kept falling asleep. Nothing against the book. It's just that I worked a lot of hours. But, uh, dude, I love every second. I mean, just you had me just as soon as the, as the prince tried to get into the nudie bar. Yeah, when Prince Jason, Prince Jason's like 14 years old. And take it like he's on he's essentially the Prince Adam of the, you know, Colt Noble and Megalords universe. OK, mm-hmm. but he's 14 and he's just mischievous and he just wants to, like, you know, get into the strip club and, <laughs> and do all types of crazy stuff. And he can't get into the strip club and Warman has to keep busting him. And he's just like, well, you're supposed to you're supposed to be training and getting ready to take the king's place. And so he all, and so Prince Jason always gets forced to uh, go into training with uh, with a Maria, who's essentially the Tila of this universe. And yes. Maria is a couple a couple years older than Jason, and Jason has a big crush on on uh, on Maria. That's part of the setup for the story. And then you also have um, a lady by the name of uh, Victoriana, but everybody calls her uh, Hoodoo Hex, and she always gets picked on because mm-hmm. she worships the dark masters of uh, Stygia. Everybody picks on her. So she's just like, screw it. She gets drunk one night at a bar and she's just like, you know what? <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call up some evil dudes and I'm also gonna conjure up a boyfriend. And and <laughs> so as a matter of fact, sister on the panel, because I mean she is pissed drunk. And she said, um, let's see, she says and it's it's like alcoholic stumble too. It's like dark masters. Hear me talking to you. This is your dark servant, Victoriana. I bid thee send me one of your children, one to obey me and to be my boyfriend. Also, he should have sexy forearms like a drummer. And a nice <laughs> firm ass would be great. And I just lost it. And and she conjures up this Skeletor-type guy by the name of Archfiend, Lord of Annihilation, who is a complete and utter dick. Dude, I love when she wakes up and she goes to the living room and he's in the recliner eating her cereal with fluffy slippers on watching TV. And, and gets on her case and says the house is a mess. He <laughs> wrecked it. And then he says, by the way, you're out of milk, cereal, clean spoons, and mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> but she can't let him go. From there, you learn how Prince Jason um, stumbles upon the power of Colt Noble so he can turn into this He-Man-esque character called Colt Noble who, who uh, Maria is completely attracted to. Plenty of action, plenty of uh, comedy, plenty of sexual innuendo. There, there's also a side story, uh, the, anim, the, alien, the anim, animal aliens or something like that, um, which is kind of like the Thundercats, also very funny. 
Tim Seeley really worked it with the writing on this on this book and the art because I, I I gotta mention the artist in this book as well because um let's see hold on one second art was by Mike Dimayuga colors by Mark Anglert letterer Crank from uh, Crankcast with Mike Norton yes yeah man this, big fan of that this podcast, this but. book this book was great I, I you know what made me sad is that there's no sequel yet. That that's what made me upset. There's no sequel. I want more. You know what well, I mean? I really yeah, do. Yeah, but you know what, dude? There will be. I guarantee it. And this is also a web comic. Well, yeah, that's how it started. It started as right. as a web comic, and they collected it all together. And Sealy made a new front cover for it. Fantastic. Like I said before, fantastic. Not only that, that would make for a funny comedy series or a funny movie if <laughs> if if put in the right hands. I mean, you'd have to make sure Sealy had tight control over it so they wouldn't fuck it up. And the um. Guy that's kind of like Zodak from He-Man sitting on the chair, you know, like kind of like the Watcher. That dude was funny too. In the beginning of the story, uh, yes. What, and yeah. wait, no, he was like that dude. What was that dude's name? Mega, mega. Um, who was the dude from uh, He-Man who it, had that chair? I thought Zodak had that chair. Cause yes, Zodak. Yes, yeah, Zodak had that chair. So yeah, man, dope. You must get a copy of Colt Noble and the Megalords. Once again, this book's not for kids. No, I'll say this is like the. FX equivalent of He-Man. Dude, this is the best ever. Just the beginning where he's talking about all the stuff he recorded. Mm -hmm. I recorded the adventures of Johnny Zillion and Kid Affinity, brave young scientist karate master rock stars lost in Affinity without a home or a recording studio. <laughs> and then he recorded the events off of Convertica, the, her the heroic hybrid bots, Versus the malicious sports utility Viacons, right? Yeah. Battled over fuel and cherished holy spots of parking. <laughs> and then my favorite was the animal aliens. That was off the hook, dude. Y yes, it is, man. Wonderful. Lord Dalmatian. Um, believe me when I say for the price. Um, I think I want to say it's five ninety nine. Is it's five ninety nine, but believe me, it's worth. Yeah, there's a ton in here, man. Yeah, it, it's worth every it's it's worth every penny. Like I said, I did not want the book to end. That's how much I enjoyed it. So I think you'll enjoy it too. And you know what? I even went to the shop and paid full price for this because I actually forgot to order it. So I went out and spent the six bucks. And and it, people who know me know I don't like to do that. <laughs> You would not believe my to read list. It's just it, it, the stack is just getting bigger and bigger. And then I go out to flea markets and then it gets bigger and bigger. But I must be the only dude who's got a to watch list. A what? stack of shit to watch. <laughs> this is honest to God, man, because everybody knows like I, I like sci-fi and, and, and all kinds of stuff and horror and everything, right? And comedy, being a comedian and all that, right? So this is literally, I'm not even making this up, my to-watch list. Season one of True Blood, season two through five of Angel, all right? V, the complete series, the original series. I got that too. Do you? Yeah, my, my wife got it for me as a surprise. Um, cause she like it was on sale at Target for like ten bucks because that's all it cost to make that whole series. And um, and I know I play. I shouldn't, uh, cause I love that. That's some cheesy, campy stuff. And women in that show have the biggest hair on the face of the earth. <laughs> I mean, they got that Delta Burke designing women big hair. 
in that show, yo. But I love that's, it. That's yeah. I, I love it though, right man. I, but I'm please continue. Season one of Dark Angel, season two of Terminator Chronicles, season one of Fringe, season one of Dexter, that Justice is- League, Crisis on what is it? Multiple Earths, Crisis on Two Earths, on Two Earths. Yep. Final Destination Four in 3D. Uh, man, just fast forward to all the parts where folks die. You, you, you'll be able to watch that in about 15 minutes. Starship Troopers 2 and 3. You should be able to watch 2 and 3 in about an hour. <laughs> I don't care if number 3's got the return of Casper Van Dien. I don't care. You'll be able to watch those very quickly. Very and quickly. Wet Hot American Summer, a comedy from the director of Role Models. And it stars every failed stand-up comic or sitcom star and a couple of up-and-comers that actually got famous after this was made, but not because of this movie. So you got all right, David Wayne, who directed uh, Role Models. You got Paul Rudd is in it, Elizabeth Banks. Now, their names first because they became famous. Right, but before okay. that, I'm sure it wasn't like that. Amy Poehler, Molly Shannon, David High Pierce, Christopher Maloney, Michael Ian Black, uh, Bradley Cooper. Wait a minute. Face from the A-Team. Yep. A.D. Miles, Zach Orth, Ken Marino, Margaret Moreau, Michael Showalter, and that's it, I think. That's a lot of people, man. Oh, and Janine Garofalo. Did I say that? Uh, Probably well, not No, because I hate her. <laughs> it's okay. I hate everything she stands for. Sorry. So that is my to-watch list. Oh, and um, I just wanted to uh, say on behalf of uh, Greg and Dave and myself, uh, Sean. Yes. Thank you very much uh, for having me on this show from time to time. And you're not going to believe this, but we ran the numbers on our show. We are up 200 listeners since I started doing this show. And I want to say thank you to you for having me on and to everybody out there that is listening to Reality Wasted that heard of it from this show. Thank you. Donnie, you're more than welcome, man. Hey, I love having you, having you on this show, man. It, it means a lot to me. What all y'all do to help on the, to help me on this show, to help me keep my sanity, it, you know, it, it really helps me, man. This is more therapeutic than a lot of people know. I love doing doing this show with you and, and John and all the guests that come in. I'm not just saying that to, to kiss ass and be nice. I'm saying it because it's real, because people know me. If I want to do something, I'm not going to do it. And I really like doing this. I, I just think it's great that you guys are getting the attention you need, you deserve. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. I think that's wonderful because, you know, y'all got something good there, man. Also, for those who haven't listened to the Reality Wasted podcast, Donnie does more Dan DiDio imitations <laughs> on the Reality Wasted podcast. Sometimes Dan shows up here, but um, but no, there's more Dan DiDio over at Reality Wasted. Episode 71 or 72, uh, Dan actually showed up. This is true. Showed up and threw Leno out of the studio. <laughs> Oh, you guys. I said something about Leno, and he just came and jumped down down my throat. Uh-huh. And uh, the deal just, he's, he's like, you know, he just got ready. He's like, get out of Don's face there. I am a publisher now. I'm a publisher with Jim Lee. Jim Lee. da 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 da, da Jim Lee. Right? <laughs> and, you know, you can't get it. You, you know, he gets crazy, man. Uh, what is wrong with you? Going to go get a sandwich. <laughs> Dan Dio, Dan Dio, don't like pickles on a sandwich. Thank you. <laughs> what is wrong with you? What? Nothing. nothing. <laughs> the best was when I met him at New York Comic Con. And for those of you who are my Facebook friends, 
that that uh picture always shows up from time to time with me in that shit eating grin with Dan DeDio. Yeah, I seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> and I said to him, right? He he was in a rush because he had to go do the DC panel. But he was I mean, literally, he's such a nice guy. He was like, Yeah, sure, I'll take a photo with you, but I do have to run, you know, I have to do the DC panel. And I'm like, Cool. So he took a picture and I said, Yeah, Dan, I, I do this podcast. We talk about you all the time. Dude, he just turned around, and he looked at me, he goes, Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, XO1 on the Rock Solid Steelbots, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.